0: Jeez.
2: Recorded live. Hi, everybody, and uh, welcome to the call tonight. Um, we're going to have a two-part call today, and Southern's going to be doing uh, the first hour of the call. Um, some of you had asked the other day, Uh, why Southern wasn't on the other call. I was having some phone issues, but now he is here, and he's going to be doing the first hour of the call. And then after that, I will come in uh, on the latter half. So Southern, take it away.
3: Okay. First thing I need you to do is open up, go in the file section. or I posted it right underneath the the, uh, post tonight. Field Manual FM 27-5. We need to go through a couple of things there, and then we're going to go into something else. All right. You got you got it open, She Wolf?
2: Hello? Yes, I hear you. I am following along.
3: Okay. All right. The first section of that is something you definitely need to read. This is a manual, people, believe it or not, of civilian affairs, all right? Your courts are in here, uh, your provost court, all right, and everything else is inside this manual. There's also some other interesting stuff in this manual, and we're going to get into a two-part section here. The first section, hold on one second, all right. Military government, civil affairs. It tells you how the military government is set up. All right. One of the interesting things about a military when a military occupation takes place, if you read this carefully, it says sovereignty is not transferred by reason of the occupancy. The people retain their sovereignty. They just what the control of their government is changed. It also sets up the fact of perimeter, right, uh, as to who. I uh, is the commander who is in charge, the military governor. All right? I was working on a little project here with some uh, pictures for tonight, but I didn't quite get it done in time. Uh, but I will be getting it done in a little bit. And while she will just talking, I'll be posting on legal deception. You want to look at the flags, people. You better start looking at them real careful. These spears on these flags are getting real interesting. All right? Now, If you go on down this, all right, it talks about a lot of things in this manual. I'm going to go down. The exercise of control is a command responsibility. Again, we're referring back to the commanders, all right. The commander has supreme legislative, executive, and judicial authority, all right. Remember that he's all three rolled into one. Who is the commander? You second here governor of your state he is everything uh, okay because of supreme supremacy of the commanding officer right because of the military necessity uh, he must always bear full responsibility for the military government this is why whenever you try to talk to these governors they want to run from you because once it's something is made, a, made uh, aware of them, they have to resolve the problem. It's, it becomes their problem to resolve. Now, if you like I said, you need to get in this manual and read it on your own. Now, part C down here is, is something some you're not going to like. It's just a taking of hostages. Okay, carrying out a reprisal will become marked military necessity in some situations. Okay, this is this is written right in the manual, right? That might be your DCF people right there, right? This is not this is not playtime. This is real. Number C it talks about force being a necessity to subdue those who resist the authority of the military government or to prevent the escape of prisoners or persons suspected of crimes. All right, we're going to go on down here to the next highlighted section. Office which is unnecessary or diminutive to military government will be temporarily discontinued or suspended by the military commander as military governor. Tells you a lot, doesn't it, about why certain things don't work. It tells you that legislative bodies are, are still in existence will be suspended. Supreme legislative power is vested in the commanding officer of the theater of operation. Now, a lot of times I talk to people about the fact that these governors have a little secret called Uniform State Law Commission. Uniform State Law Commission operates outside of the legislative branch of government. The, the Uniform State Law Commission is selected by the governors of your state, all right? To go write law. All. all right, this stuff is all copyrighted. You can go to their website, all right, and you can look up their acts. And there's a bunch of them going way back to the 1800s. They've been updated. They've been modified. Blah blah blah. But they're all on there. This is not the legislative branch of government. This is your commander-in-chief having somebody else write law. And a lot of people don't get this, but that's what's happening. And anything that he puts his signature on uh, as military commander of that state, it becomes law, whether you like it or not. Now, we're going to go on down here to another section. Okay, we're down here now on uh, page 26, where it says, maintenance of law and order. right? It is their job to maintain law and order. right? If they have to take the old police out and bring in a new police department, they're allowed to do that. All right? Or they can use military, police, or anybody else. Right. in a little while, I'm going to post some pictures out there that's real, like I said, real interesting. All right? Now, we get down here, all right, in this section of Maintain Law and Order. It talks about administration of prisons, control of liquor, narcotics, traffic, control of traffic and preservation, and control of fire. This only some of the things that these people are doing. Now we get down here to C on page 27. The Establishment and Administration of Military Commission and Provost Courts. There is your courts, people, right here. That's the courts you're dealing with in these states. If you're not dealing with Admiralty Maritime or the C, there's your courts. Plain and simple. And the determination of their jurisdiction and procedure. Supervision and control or closing of the local criminal or civil courts. Supervision of the local bar. Listen carefully what I just said, supervision of the local bar. That means the military is supervising your bar association. They are working for the military, all right? They get their authority through the military. This is why people, whenever we get in, when people tell you that they're practicing law without a license, no, they're not practicing law without a license. It's unauthorized practice of law. Because only the military, through the military, can the Bar Association practice law. The only people allowed these courtrooms to practice law is military bar attorneys. That's it. All right? Decisions as to modification, suspension of local criminal civil, and civil laws. Acceptance, investigations, reports, and claims. All right? And in some cases, the operation, all right, of Claims Commission. What they're saying is they're, that that governor up there is allowed to make any changes in the law that he chooses. Okay? Remember, he's supreme commander of, the, of, this, of this whole thing. Local courts concerned with litigation and other legal matters among civilians. There's your trick word again. Under the supervision of civil affairs officer. All right. Such matters involving civilians and members of the armed forces are also primary concern of the civil affairs officer. We're working right now to find out who that civil affairs officer is. I got a feeling I know, but I'm going to find out. Matters within the jurisdiction of court-martials are of no concern to the civil affairs officer. Now, we're going to go down here a little further. Right. This is uh, page 28. Transportation. Cooperation with a, with a of arms and services in connection with military use of private or state-owned railroads, um, trucks, buses, vehicles, roads, borderways, and airfields, reestablishment of the proper time of all essential civilian traffic facilities. Control and supervision of such facilities. They're telling you right here that the military, all right, has supervision and control of, the, uh, of your roads. They're under the military. That's Title 32. You might go and look it up. All right, national defense. Public duties. Then you got public utilities. Money and banking is under their control. Public finance is under their control. Commodities control price and rationing. Agriculture, industry and manufacturing, commerce and trade. Labor, custody and administration of property. Custody and administration of all property and enterprises owned wholly or in part by the the enemy government or enemy national of a country. Other than the occupied, other than that occupied, Custody and administration of all property and enterprises owned wholly or in part by the government, if taken over by the occupying force, custody and administration of private property superseded with a direction of military use and not in the custody of another branch of the armed forces, such as transportation, communication facilities, right, arms, ammunition, and other implements of war, custody and administration of privately owned abandoned or other property if taken over by the military government that's where they're getting the abandoned property right there the next one is information it tells you that they got the right to take over all your radios press everything education system supervise educational system open Opening the schools and preventing this subversive or harmful instruction. So they get to tell you what, how to, how to uh, educate your children. Public welfare. Supervising public and private institutions for the care of children, the poor, the handicapped, the aged, and the encouragement of necessity, local organizations to operate such institutions. The keeping of records. Miscellaneous, the year of operation. Uh, like I said, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to get a certain section of it. Now, we're going to get down here to this. Uh, page 34 is actually 24. Okay, In the operational type, commanders of combat units or military administration areas are responsible for civil affairs within their respective zones of operation or areas and the relationship between civilian officers of one echelon to civilian officers of a higher or lower echelon are those prescribed to the staff officers of the appropriate manuals. The chain of civil affairs control confirms the operational or administrative chain of command. Now, in a minute, we're going to get into the chain of command really deep. Okay? The next section down through here, uh, hold on. Let me get down here to the court section. Okay, we're going to get down here to uh, page 35. Right here, it tells you at the bottom of this page to control the population of a city, port, or congested area, what they're allowed to do. Okay. Well local civil forces we're going down to the next page, thirty six. Right. Where local civil police forces are inadequate or cannot be relied upon. Military police, marines, force patrols, all right? Can be organized to, to use this military uh, police. Assignment of command, military police, marines you need to read this section here because it really gets into this. What they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. There's a section here on page 37 authority to make arrests. Okay? You need to read that section. I didn't highlight it, but you need to read that section. Okay? Now. We're going down here to Responsibility of Theater Commander. That's Section 20, Section 4, Personnel, all right? That's on page 37. The Theater Commander is responsible that careful estimates of civil affairs, all right, personal responsible requirements, officers, warrant officers, and enlisted personnel be made well ahead of any planned occupation, and that the personnel are requisitioned. Now, again, we're going back to commander Cheeker, chief okay? Responsibility of officers of lower echelon. Officers, each officer charged with civil affairs control. Is responsible to the allotment of civil affairs, civil affairs personnel to the next lower echelon to meet the meet its anticipated needs and those are the further subordinates echelon this this is a chain of command that we're going to be talking about here in a little bit it's all right here in this book um, hold on I'm going to slide down here now to Treatment of inhabitants. 47. Assurance should be made to be given that persons who obey the instructions of the military authority have nothing to fear and will be duly protected in their persons, property, family rights, religion, and occupation, and that those who commit offenses will be severely punished. Sound like anything you know, she will?
2: I'm it's
3: just. I'm there. listening. I'm listening. It's all there. Okay, we're going down now to section to page fifty. Okay, this is military courts, people, military commissions, and provost courts. This tells you how they're established. Okay. Everything from 38 down here now, you need to really get in and read it. This is not a, this is, I wish it was a joke, but it's not. It talks about the creation, right? to try the inhabitants of a prison for offenses affecting the military administration. Right? There you got it. These courts generally will not be circumvented by the statutory or other rules governing court-martials. All right, and their members, types, jurisdiction, and procedure will be determined by the theater commander subject to the instructions of the higher authority. The term military court, as used in this manual, does not include court-martial. I've always used the term court-martial because the bottom line, if I see a military flag flying in there, it's a court-martial. All right, right here, it says customary types. It is a custom customary or force the United States to prophesy for at least two types of military courts, all right, for the trial of civilians, military commissions and provost courts. These former deals with the most serious offenses, right? for which punishment by death or by long imprisonment terms, all right, and heavy fines have been Describe while the latter deals with less serious crimes. Military commissions are appointed are right, convicted tribe cases, standing tribunals to hear all such cases. All right, this here is telling you about witnesses uh, and everything else. The provost court will go down here to the next one. 51. Appointed to convene the lesser crimes. Generally these types of crimes, types of provost courts, will be sufficient. This here is where you're getting uh, your traffic courts and everything else. Right Right here. It tells you about the military position. Uh, B actually tells you other types of courts. They're talking about traffic courts, vagrants, prostitution, juveniles, and other classes of offenders. This pretty much ties up right here what our courts are going to be All right, at this moment. Now, hold oh on. Like I said, I'm not going to read the whole thing. You go. I'm going to let you guys get in and read it for yourself. Now we're going to get down here to jurisdiction. Forty-two. That's page one fifty-three. I mean fifty-three. Military courts have jurisdiction over such cases of classification that are referred to them by the appointing or convening authority over persons. Military courts have jurisdictions over persons within the occupied territory except those having diplomatic immunity aye, and except prisoners of war. But unless there is a competent reason for the con- contrary, in a particular case, persons subject to military or naval law of the United States or its allies to be tried in court martials. They're, they're telling you right there that people in the actual military are tried by one type of court, and it's a bit, they set up civilian courts to try the civilians. Those are your military commission and provost courts. Okay, military courts have jurisdiction over the following types of offenses. Offenses against the laws
2: and using have, the war. I have, I have a question. So, what if, if the military commission tries the military people? What is the name of the courts that are trying the civilians?
3: No, the, the
2: military commission
3: right, is trying the civilians, and is trying the and the provost court is trying the civilians. You got some provost court. court. That would be uh, like your uh, traffic court or something like that. Your military commission would be hardcore crimes. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
4: Right.
3: Now, offenses over offenses directly affecting military government. Military courts have jurisdiction over the following types of offenses. Offenses against the laws and uses of war. There's your Libra code, people, right here. Right there's your Libra code. Violation of the proclamations, ordinances, regulations, and orders proclamated by the theater commander or by his authorized subordinates. Remember I just said he's got the Uniform State Law Commission out there making law? I put a thing out here a few while back called the Uniform Traffic Code. All right? You might want to go look that up. It's a legal deception file section. All right? Again, Uniform. We keep going back to that in uniform again. All right. This is D. Uh, D. says, states that has offensive criminal law. If criminal courts of the occupied territory are open and functioning satisfactorily, they should ordinarily be permitted to try persons charged with offenses against local criminal laws not involving the rights, interests, and property of the United States or other persons serving with the occupying force and subject to military, naval, or United States or other country allies with the United States. The theater commander and his authorized subordinates authorized may suspend proceedings in such a local courts, right, or the classes of courts may be directed by the class of cases to be tried by the military court. Such powers should be exercised with respect to the prosecution and to the uh, interest of the United States. Over civil, and civil cases. Remember I told everybody that if you go into these courtrooms, they have a civil division, not a civil court. Right here it is. All right. If the civil courts of the occupied territory are open and functioning
4: satisfactorily
3: satisfactory, all right, they should ordinarily be permitted all right. Hmm. Interesting. All right. They should ordinarily be permitted to hear and determine civil cases, except claims of suit brought against the occupying power occupying Or its government, over which they have no jurisdiction. Okay, think about that for just a second. Right, if such courts are not functioning, military occupation is likely to be brief. Right, it will probably be unnecessary. Right, to make any provisions at all for the disposition of civil cases. Right, however. At his discretion, a theater commander, they confer jurisdiction on military commissions or provost courts to hear and determine civil cases and may establish separate courts right, for such cases. Like I just said, there is your, uh, when you go into these courtrooms, your civil division, right there, and may issue regulations as to them <clears throat> and as to the execution of their judgments and decrees, as he may deem proper. Remember, like I said, you've got the Uniform State Law Commission making these laws up, family court laws, uh, probate laws. All these people are making all these laws up. There it is. Black and white, and it's simple to read. The law to be followed in civil courts, in civil cases, is that of the occupied territory with which such modifications as to the theater commander has been compl- compelled to make. All right. Uh, military commissions. Like I said, I'm not going to go real real deep into this. I'm going to let you guys finish reading this up on your own. But you want to know what, the kind of court you're dealing with? Here it is. They're not lying to you. Down here on uh, page 56, I right. I want to read this to you. Military commissions in general, the sentencing which military commissions would be authorized to impose would include fines, imprisonment, and hard labor and death. Provost court sentencing uh, imposed by provost courts should be limited to fines or imprisonment at hard labor or both. And with the application, Applicant limitations such as $5,000 in five years. So that's how you know your two different courts right here. Now, down here to 12 on 56, 56. all right, military courts may be authorized in cases involving the unlawful purchase, sale, possession, use of property to order the, the forfeiture of such property to the military government. Anybody ever heard the word civil forfeiture? Well, right there it is. All right. Right in a nutshell. Padlocking on number three. Military courts may be authorized to close houses of prostitution, places where there is unlawful traffic, in, intoxicating liquor, narcotics, and other places where a persons are found to be engaged in unlawful activity. They do that a lot in Florida. Any questions so far? No? Okay. Like I said, you need to get in and, and, and read this, this thing because you're going to find a lot of your information that you all want right there in this book. You still with me, She-Wolf? I'm here. Okay. These theater commanders, all right, when She-Wolf she, when she Wolf went after DCF, all right, you said these people like to run from you, right? There's a reason for that. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping somebody would be home by now, but I guess he's not. The doctrine of command responsibility, okay? The doctrine of command responsibility, I also call the chain, the scalar chain, which is a chain of command principle. Now, I, a couple of days ago, I put out a thing there from my police department uh, about their chain of command and how it works. It's a very good example uh, of the runs of the ladder up in up and down for these police departments. Now, under the a lot, a lot of people don't understand the command responsibility. Command responsibility is the master always answers for the servant, right? So this started off probably three thousand years ago, and it was brought into existence uh, under the uh, art of war by uh, I can't think of his name right now. But, uh, Two thousand plus years ago, soon I think it is. All right? It was brought into to the articles of war. The commander is uh, is always responsible, okay, for everything that happens, and it goes down the chain of command. As it's going down the chain of command, right down the peon, down at the bottom of the run. If he does something wrong, it's got the guy above him doesn't want it to go to the guy above him, right? It's always they want to stop. This is why they don't want it to get to the commander in chief, because once it hit that, he owns it. There's nobody above him to hand it to. That's why these governors and people don't want you to get to them. They do everything in their power to stop us from laying anything on their desk and their lap. This brings us into the doctrine of a responder superior because once it gets into his lap, uh, he becomes a responder superior. He has to respond to that. He can't hand it off to anybody and say, oh, well, uh, you know, I don't want to deal with this. He's got to deal with it. A lot of people don't understand the uh, Nuremberg principle. In Nuremberg, all right, they hanged the German High Command. Then they turn around and they hanged all right the judges, the lawyers, the politicians? Why? They became responsible for their actions. They knew what was going on, they didn't do nothing. Another good example of that is William Calley, all right in the Mirai massacre. Calley didn't burn those hooches, but he knew about it. and that's why he was tried. These people fully understand this chain of command. This chain of command, a lot of people don't comprehend it. It's in everything that you do. Your law of agency, your principal agent, your employer, employee, all right? It's in everything you do. There's a chain of command. Somebody is ultimately responsible for everything. These people don't want it laid in their lap. This is what I'm working on right now. It's laying it in their lap and making them responsible for it. Uh, Hold on one second. Now, there's a maximum law out there, okay? Uh, Whoever acts to another acts as if he were doing it himself. So when these commanders, uh, these people out here running around the street, all right, CCF cops, whoever, those people are acting as if he was standing there. All right, he is ultimately responsible for these people. That's why they he doesn't want this stuff laid in his lap. What he doesn't know about, he doesn't have to deal with. So once he knows about this, he must deal with it. You follow what I'm saying. <laughs> Now, we come to something called the Doctrine of Superior Orders, right? Was that man, DCF agent, given specific orders to come out here and do so-and-so? Or was that police officer come out here, told to come out here and do whatever he did, right? He would have to show specific orders, and he can't do that most of the time. This is why you keep going at, everybody wants to go after their uh, general orders manual, all right, their force uh, continuum manual, all right, and the uh, other manuals that they got out there to find out what they're supposed to be doing because a lot of times they're violating those manuals, all right. Now, that person who violates that manual falls under a doctrine called strict liability. He is strictly liable for his actions. Now, the catch is, so is his boss. All right? Just by the fact that he's the boss, all right, he accepted full responsibility for that agent, that subordinate, that employee, whoever. All right? Now, uh, hold on one second second here. I'm not gonna get into all the doctors I can on this page right now. This brings us to vicarious liability. All right, this you can look up in, in the law of agencies. All right. Principal is vicariously liable, all right, for his agent. He may not have done it, but he's still liable. This is why these people don't want this stuff laid in their lap. All right? Now, this brings us to another maximum of the law. One who acts to another acts in one's own interest. All right? So if you've got an agent out there acting for you, he's acting in your interest. They can't get away from this stuff. Any questions yet? Do you have?
4: Course, huh? question what page was that
3: on This this is not in that's not in the book. This is something, some of my notes. I'm going to be putting that out there later.
4: Okay, thank
3: you. All right. Now, you so another thing you need to look up is the castle doctrine. Because a lot of these people are violating the castle doctrine. All right? right? are definitely violating this and getting away with it because nobody knows about it. Hold on one second, would you please? Hold on. Excuse me. Now, like I said, you need to to get in here, go back on this call, look this stuff up, and start studying it. All right, these people are definitely, definitely liable, right, these commanders in chiefs for what they're they're doing. We sent off, I was hoping that Julia would be back so she could tell you about the fun we have with DCM. But uh, they came here and threatened to take the lady's children, all right? And I said, no, that's not going to happen. So I sent off a hello, how are you letter all right, to uh, Sheriff of Broward County the right, command, command responsibility letters. I right, notice of liability to the uh, Broward County Sheriff, which DCF agent that came to the house, worked for Broward County Sheriff. I sent one off to Mike Carroll head of DCF and I sent one off the government. All right. Actually, Julie sent them off. Okay. Uh, I think it was two weeks later. All right. DCF agent showed up at the, the same DCF agent that stood here and screamed in uh, Julie's mother's face and said, We're going to come back with a warrant and get the kids. Okay. Came up here on a Sunday. All right. Dressed in her civil clothes and she apologized. And uh, I was hoping she will, uh, Julie would be home from school at school tonight by now. But she'll be here back shortly. And she'll tell you the whole story, all right? That's never happened in this neighborhood before, ever, all right? Never. So this works, all right. The only problem we're having right now is getting these these notices to these people, and I'm working on that that also under the laws of agencies and command responsibility, handing it to one of their agents or their subordinates and making that person liable to hand it to him. Make them the mail carrier. We've done that one time already, and it worked. Believe me, it worked. I don't know what happened to the, to the lady in question, but nobody has seen that church sure, since then. I hope she got fired. Uh, any questions yet?
4: Excuse me, how did you make them the mail carrier?
3: Say it again.
4: How did you make them the mail carrier?
3: Okay. Under uh, the command responsibility, you all and I know everybody has used this statement. Uh, notice to agent, I mean, notice to principal is notice to agent. Notice to agent is notice to principal, right? Correct? Yeah, correct. All right. We simply handed it to the agent and made him responsible to give it to the principal. That's what we did. And he got it. The principal did get it. Now, we put on that, we put a statement on the side of that, okay? Okay or the outside the envelope when we gave it to the guy, I just said, notice the agent, notice that any principal, superior commander is notice to all agents subordinates, notice to any agent subordinate is notice to all to all principals superior commanders. So bottom line, if he didn't give it to him, that wasn't our fault. We did get a good picture of the tag of the car though, so that we knew who we gave it to. And that happened about, oh, 10.30, 10.40 that morning. We got a, we didn't get a call from the actual person we wanted, but we got a call from this next underling, okay? And he wanted to know what, why he was getting this letter, all right? And we basically told him, uh, I, but somebody else basically told him what was going on. And that's the last we've seen of that particular person that the letter was about. Like I said, they don't want nobody handing them a hot tamale, all right, that they have to deal with. They don't want it. This is what I'm working on right now uh, is how we can get these notices to these people. Now, when we sent the ones to Tallahassee, all right, to Mike Carroll and uh, the governor and Brown County Sheriff, the only one that got returned green card on was the one to Mike Carroll. The other two, we never heard back from them. So they're probably hiding that sucker. That is the problem that we're having right now, uh, is to get these notices to these people to make them uh, do whatever they're supposed to do. Any questions?
4: You just do that with registered mail, right? Huh? Registered mail.
3: Yeah, we did it registered mail, return receipt requested. But the only one we the only green card we got back was
0: my card. <coughs> the other two we did. get back. I got a comment if you'll let me. Go ahead. Hey, it's Nuke Welder. Uh I just served the police department on a a case. It was five years old and the officer doesn't work there anymore. But all I had to do was find out that who the who the attorney of record is for that agency and then i served him so if you can figure out who the attorney of record is for the sheriff's department or any of the agencies that you're trying to serve you can serve them through their attorney and they have to i'm aware of that fact but we
3: we took the shortcut we just served the sheriff Right, so well, I called. It,
0: uh, yeah, I, it was super easy. I thought, you know, because the cop that I was trying to serve doesn't work for the department anymore. It works for another department in the area. But it, uh, say, for example, if you had a problem uh, from the past and you couldn't serve that person, they're no longer available or they're dead. Then we find out, like you say, it's the it's the it's the leader of the group that's responsible. So it really does it it, it really doesn't even have to be In direct contact with the person you're trying to deal with now, if it's a past wrong, let's say the past sheriff did something, well, the current sheriff is responsible. He's responsible for what the past sheriff did too, and you serve you can serve that guy because you're serving the office. This is my point. We're serving the office of the agency. People need to remember that it's it's not the guy, like my like Matthew Gates, the guy who arrested me. It's that agency called Orville Police Department or Broward County Sheriff. That's the person who did the who's doing the wrong that needs to be noticed. And there's a variety of different ways to do it.
2: Right, because that's an agency, and they're also called like if you don't if you have a hard time finding out, just ask for their general counsel because that's what they call them when they're working in public service public services. Um, they're called general counsel or your lead attorney. Um and and believe it or not, you'll find out later and some of them they'll even admit to you that they too are holding an office as a lawyer, um, like one of them did to me. They weren't like the attorney bulldog. They said we are also employed by Um, like the county or the state uh, as an employee. So you would look for, like, a general counsel um, for that agency. And another good way to get them, not like as a revenge tactic, but to get them in a way that, that you want to claim a civil wrongdoing or injury or harm to you or your property, you file a claim. They have insurance. All of them have insurance on the private side. And um, uh, the agency carries the insurance. And sometimes the agency itself doesn't carry the insurance. It's the city. Like when I went after one city, my own local city, for something they did wrong. Um, and I called the captain and asked them. Uh, they said, you have to go to the city. They're the ones that carry. They're they're the ones that have the information about the insurance uh, that we carry. You file a claim for damages or injuries uh, to your property, just like if you were to go to a regular uh, business or a store, like a Walmart, and you go in, the first thing you do is you file a claim for the injury, and it goes to their insurance department and their legal department.
3: Well, uh, surprisingly enough, after five attempts, six attempts. Or something those seven attempts like that and they kept telling us that they didn't know who general counsel was
2: yeah because they lie because the general yes. counsel, he's he's scared of you because he is also <laughs> employed and holding and see I found a couple of the general counsels and I've spoken to them and and you know, I'll tell them, you know, you're responsible. You know, you're the, or you can ask for this too. You can say, I want to, uh, can you give me the number to your legal department? And they'll get, listen, they will panic because they're not expecting you to say, I want to speak to your legal department. Um, but we make them say it sometimes too, like for a DCF case. Um, the worker kept threatening me said um, I was, Uh, interfering with the legal process. So I told her, uh, so what? Go get your attorney. You know what? As a matter of fact, give me the number to your legal department, and I will discuss these violations with them, and they wouldn't give it to me. You know, like, in the end, they had to surrender because, you know, I don't want to talk to an employee. You're just a, you know, low-level employee. You're out here doing the grunt work. I want to speak to the ones that can sue me. I want to speak to the head of the agency or the one that can bring charges against me, um, because when you're trying to settle a matter, you're not going anywhere with these these people. you know, like um, if you go to court, they don't you're not speaking. You have a representative, like, say, a lawyer. But if you haven't noticed the other side isn't speaking either like you guys are there as witnesses uh against each other and then the judge will say um like the attorney will say um this is the social worker for this case and um she's going to do what she's going to give a testimony but she cannot tell you what to do she is part of what the the agency she can only be uh say something if they even call her and just like a judge, you'll say, the judge won't listen to me. Well, he's not really listening to them either. It's really these two attorneys that are at battle, uh, one on your side and one on the other side. But you want to
4: always
2: look for, um, like, the legal department, the general counsel, the lead attorney, the... Um, uh, their insurance information, which it doesn't usually lie. Like I said, with the agency, if it's a police department, usually the county or the city is the one that is um, that has your insurance information. And you do you do want to file a claim because um, when you don't file a claim, you just can't walk
4: into a federal court and say,
2: I want to sue this agency for violation of you know my rights because the judge will throw your case out of court immediately saying, you know, failure failure to state a claim for which relief can be granted. He's not telling you that you failed to state your claim appropriately to him for which relief could be granted. He's saying you've given me no evidence that you even made an attempt to file a claim against the agency because they're all businesses. Everything dealing with government is a business, so... If you don't go after the agency to say, like, you broke my cell phone or um, you broke all the windows in my house or you threw a flash bomb in my uh, – there was one case where someone threw a bomb inside a window um, to, I guess, smoke out the family and they killed their baby instead. You have to file an insurance claim. That, you know, like, I don't care if it's capped at 100000 you know, you can't, you're not going to bring my baby back to life. You've killed my baby. So I'm going to take your 100000 And I also want um, to write a letter to who? The general counsel and that administration to say, I want this person um, fired, you know. And if you can't find, hold them liable, then I'm going to hold you liable because that means that you and your um, institute And those who write the laws, policies, regulations, and procedures must have given them authorization to throw something like that in my window and kill my baby. See, you're never going to find the officer guilty. It's very hard because he's doing what is told, um, he is doing what he is told according to his policy and procedure manual. So no attorney, yeah, go ahead.
4: Yeah, and so in terms of um, <clears throat> trying to rescind your name or your autograph from a license with the state, and um, prove that it's a fraudulent contract—the the marriage license between three parties as opposed to just two people getting married with the um, with with the common, you know. Um,
2: the common law. You mean you're talking about getting the license. So what you have to do is you have to rescind that contract. You have to go in and say you're married to your wife, and you guys say, oh, you know what? I'm mad. I found out that I I got a license to marry you, and all this mm-hmm. is, a, is a partnership now, me and you, and the and the state, right? And then right. you have another one. You have a driver's license, right? Oh, wow, I got a license now. And I'm mad because every time I stick that license in this officer's face, it's in his jurisdiction. He gets to give me a ticket. So you have to cancel it. You have to write a letter to the headquarters, get it, the headquarters, and (laughs) cancel it that way. And then you would have to write to the county of where you got this marriage certificate, and you could just do a quorum and say, you know, like, uh, so and so and so and so by agreement before these witnesses, uh, we dissolve our marriages and part our ways amicably uh, without any um, disputes or, you know, whatever it is, you know, whatever was hers was hers, you'd have to be pretty specific because I did this. I had to write my own, um, I wrote one of my own divorce papers and it only cost me $10 to do a divorce. You know, like when you're doing a filing, it's $10. Mm-hmm. So I did I paid ten dollars and I got my divorce and the judge got mad. He said to me, You know, the judge, he's like when you do it yourself, the judge he's looking for fairness now. He's saying, you know, she didn't use anybody to do this and he says, Aren't you gonna apply for child support? Like, this man, you're letting him get away with this and you're gonna split up with him and you gave him back his house, you know, <laughs> his cars and I said, Yes, you know, and he said I would be where he goes where is that bomb I looks like he's downstairs he doesn't want to see me right now so anyway he goes well, I want him to pay you child support and I said your honor I don't want to bother him with child support he doesn't have a job he's on disability and he can't pay me I because you know, I work he goes well if he would have been in here I would have made him go job. <laughs> but um and and you know how much, I, that was it. He, he goes, you know, he commended me for He goes, I commend you for your bravery, though. You just, and you actually gave him back everything that was his. And I said, yeah, whatever is his, is his. So he stamped the divorce paper. And that was it. It was 10 bucks. It took me, like, 10 minutes of questioning that he, he was asking me if I was sure I didn't want anything from him, mm. um, even though Very we only had, had a child together. So you can
4: do it.
0: <laughs> can can I, I can I, I, can I, I
4: I didn't hear what you called the um, form in the beginning, but if, if anything, could you: uh, A quorum possibly-
2: like I, what I did was I go before some witnesses and before the notary and you draw up your agreement to dissolve the marriage and you file it with um, the the clerk of the court. Remember the, the the clerk of the court is the wheeler and dealer of the public trust. The judge isn't the wheeler and dealer of the public trust. Um, if he wants to see you later because you've made your own decision, he'll call you in like I was called in. I was really surprised. And then he asked me some questions because he felt that I was being too fair and he felt that I was cheating myself out of this marriage because I had a child. But I said, no, 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 this is the reason why I made these decisions. And you know what? He agreed with my decisions. It took 10 minutes. You know, and that was it. It was over. But When you can make your own agreement, um, the reason why people go through a hellacious divorce is because either there's revenge involved, there's children, and then the parents can't agree about the visitation, um, other things. Like, they want to move away, and they don't want their husband to, like, try to clamp them down to staying in one state. Um, they want child support, and then and the father says, no, I'm not going to give you any child support. It's a lot of different things that lock people into court, but you don't really have to go through that. You can, you know, go through your, uh, your own writing. You dissolve your own. They even have a do-it-yourself divorce kit. If you don't know how to write it up, they have do-it-yourself divorce kit for every state, and whenever something doesn't apply to you, all you do is write "not applicable" or "NA" on the paper. You don't want to discuss this with the judge. Um, you can write "not applicable." You don't have a house, not applicable. You don't have no kids, um, and whatever is applicable, you just put it in. They can still dissolve it um, uh, without any um, problems. Uh huh. So, do you,
4: do you want to go? Because I have kids. Do you want to go after um, the state or the county for any remedy? On the fraudulent contract they tried to hold over you,
2: like um you went through a divorce already or something, and they cheated you?
4: No, I'm just saying in general they're they're pushing these fraudulent contracts, and it, it well, they don't <laughs> listen, they really don't because everything mm-hmm. that we
2: do, we keep trying to say that they force us into it. Let me tell you something. I can look at a contract. Okay, I can like see I, where I live at right now. There's a contract. I went, but you know what? I know that the contract is the Contract. I know it. There's a lot of things in there that I don't agree with on that contract. Mm-hmm. But if I want to live here where I'm living right now, then I have to swallow my pride and accept that contract. But, but this is where I would say. All of the American people, like people, I mean, it can't just be me and you. It's got to be everybody where we say, you know what, we don't agree with this. You know why? Because you look at this what it says here that I got to be um, in here at such and such time or I got to tell you, like, I know some of them, they're valid, like no self Uh, But they want to charge you $500 for your dog living in your place, right? But then again, when you move, right, they want to charge you um, to clean the carpet because you have a dog, right? But you know what? I gave you a $500 non refundable deposit, so you shouldn't be taking money out of my deposit. There's things in a contract that you won't agree with. And my problem with this government is that When these people write these outrageous and unreasonable contracts, you don't have a say in what the contract says. It's like you're by force having to either agree to this contract or the people, they have to stand together and say, you know what, we're going to go to our local city council and tell them, you know what? You people are charging a $500 fee. Another one charges 300 and they're going to sell. Well, they reserve their rights? They know it needs to be either a uniform charge or it's the same thing like a police department. We talked about this a while back where here comes an officer, and he gave me a ticket for um,
4: a, a booster seat.
2: It was $200. So I go into the laws of the state, and it says first-time offense is $25. So, you know, I'm saying to myself, wait a minute. You try to charge me $200 for a $25 offense. So I called the, um, you know who I called? The attorney. I, I asked for their um, insurance company, and I asked for um their bond and their business, you know, done in Street And So here comes the attorney. You see, they will hide from you until you start asking for certain documents. And he says, um, uh, why are you inquiring this information regarding, um, you know, the department? I said, because I found out that you were cheating me. You tried to get $200 off of me, and it says $25. And I need to know under which jurisdiction is this um, officer operating under, <laughs> so, you know, later on, you know, like I don't even live in your state. I wasn't even here for fifteen minutes and this officer is trying to give me a two hundred dollar ticket and that doesn't even apply where I'm from. So you know what, you're number one, he's saying in personum jurisdiction. You don't have any in personum jurisdiction over me. I just got here. It says you have ten days before you change over to um the, their identification to the state. I haven't even been here for 15 minutes. And um, so basically later on, you know, right right now the charges are all gone, but there's there's local laws and people are going to Washington, D.C. to fight and bring, you know, bring notice. They don't care in Washington, D.C. People, the states govern themselves. That's what Southern's trying to tell you, that these governors are really like, They govern the militia, they govern the army, and then each one of these governors of every state. Then you have your what? Your local and municipal, and that is where Southern was telling you last week that um, they don't have um, immunity. Uh, You know how they say the Foreign Immunities Act? Southern, isn't that what you called it, the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act?
3: Well, there's a there's a uh, 1945 International Organization of Immunities Act, the 1970 something uh, Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act. But so these people, But well, remember, yeah.
2: we found it. We found something where there's a... Remember, somebody. Remember somebody challenged the go, the local government in the Supreme Court and said, "Do these people have a foreign sovereign immunity?" Are they protected? Remember, the government didn't even know what they're saying now, because they finally brought this question forward, and they didn't yeah. know what, I mean, I don't know what the outcome is, but I'm going to tell you this. They gave you two outcomes in my post. I was reading it. It said, if we give them foreign sovereign immunity, you know what it said that they would do? The government would then become lazy, and they would not do what they're supposed to do, because why they have foreign sovereign immunity. But if they didn't grant them the foreign sovereign immunity, then they would suffer because it said that we, the people or our organizations would be able to sue the local government. And then we would make them bankrupt, because um, they would have to pay um, the lawsuits and then they would have to go to the feds to get funding just to pay back all of the victims uh, because they were um, found
4: guilty of,
2: of, you know, like you don't have foreign sovereign immunity. So I'm trying to find some cases right now that are going to tell us, did they give them foreign sovereign immunity to local and municipal governments or did they not um, do that and I posted some other things that are very interesting for you guys about the local
4: law enforcement
2: where it says that up to a certain point, they control the streets, but not really, it says that there's a their, their boundary line ends, and then like, um, say, I, like I was telling you before, um, I don't know if you guys listened to the show the other day, um, I was standing, I was parked right next to a state scooper the other day. And I was getting a sticker for one of my cars, because I have to, because (laughs) the car is registered to the state, and I need a new decree so I can take it away from them. I already talked to the TMB. They said, once you get your uh, name change decree, we will give you back your car. Now it will be fully yours, right? and they remove it from the registry. You know why they can't remove it from the registry, people? Because I've been talking to different lawyers, and it's finally making sense to me, okay? Because you're using the birth certificate name, and everything is tied to Social Security, right? It's a Social Security. That means for the benefit of everybody, okay? So if that's the case, let's say that, um, uh, okay, so you don't have your own name, you're registered, see? You even, remember this, if your car is registered to the state, that means you're registered to the state. When your parents, which uh, I shouldn't even be speaking to you right now, I'm supposed to be going through the second half, and I'm going to shut up in a minute, but if your if your car is registered to the state and your marriage is registered to the state, that means you're registered to the state. And why would someone come in to try to take your baby if you don't register the baby when it's born? Is because you are registered to the state already. You've been registered to the state when you were born. So, um, yeah, you're the family child. So um, if you're registered, you don't have any rights. So um, what I was getting in this pattern was that um, uh, he tells me when you do your name change and you have your name, he says, then you can um, do your conveyance, because I tell, I have a conveyance paper for from them, and I and it says in there that I'm going to take this car and put it in my name, and it says, and the state of Texas.
1: Can
2: you and both I tell, tell them... You want to see the conveyance?
4: Yeah, I want to see. Can you post a copy? No, not of your exact one, but of a blank one?
2: Yeah, I'll have to. i have to find it. I have some here in my form, or I'll see if I can get one in PDF so I can just put it right in the um, legal deception files. But you'll see where it says, um, I'm going to convey this card from this person to me and the state. So I call the state, and I said, why am I giving you my car? I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. They put me all the way to who? The general counsel, the head attorney. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm talking to him, and I said, why would I give you my car? It's paid for. And um, he says, "Uh, well, um, because we protect the car. I go, how do you protect my car? If someone steals my car, um, I have insurance. And I would have to file an insurance claim. So you're not going to protect my car. I said, if you don't find my car, so be it. That's what usually what happens. So he wouldn't answer me. And I said, well, I'm going to be getting a name change. And um, I just wanted to ask you, so uh, what happens when I get the name change? Can I um, get my car back? He said, if you're going to do a name change, don't, tra- don't convey anything to you until you get your name changed he goes ma'am and once you do everything that is under uh, the state's name um you can convey it all to you now so here's the point if you're registered to the state that's what the birth certificate means that you, you've been registered into a social compact a social contract that means for the benefit of everybody and so They have to, um, they're liable if you don't, like, say you buy a car and you don't pay it and you die, right? The state has to pay for that. Those bar attorneys, they have liability if you don't pay your your debts and stuff. They have to, um, uh, like, insurance companies, um, if, like, you might not think they're not liable, but they are liable to, in a way that when you die, the estate has to be settled. And, um, if you look at the law of errors that we have it on, we have it on our group, it shows you that as soon as you die, the estate opens up and it gives them, it says that it shall remain open until every last claim and debt is paid, meaning that anyone that comes in and says you owe them money and they can prove you had a contract with them. The the United States government has to pay them for all the debts that you didn't pay when you were alive. So, <clears throat> basically, um, if you do if you get your own name now, that means you're taking yourself out of their liability, right? And you're liable now for your own for for all your own actions. Um, and that means you can put everything now in your name. You're going to convey everything to you, and they're responsible for it, and they won't butt in. Uh, they are not going to butt in when you, like, if you say, oh, well, someone stole my car, um, they can't write a police report because that is your car. You're responsible for your own stuff, like, but if you put insurance on it, um, you can uh, make a claim with your own insurance company, like, uh, uh, but they do. They have a jurisdiction. They have a limit. And like I was telling people the other day, if you give someone a passport and they ask you for a driver's license and you give them a passport, they can't, they can't give you a ticket because it's out of their jurisdiction. That passport comes from a different agency. And that only that agency, and it tells you that if it's the Department of State, then the, it says it right on the um, Wikipedia rules. That the state uh, troopers get it, state troopers, or I'll give you another name that they have. Like for Florida, it says the Florida Department of Law
4: Enforcement.
2: That's a state you agency. Huh? I
4: have a cl- quick question. To change your name on the um, for the passport, you just use the SS five.
2: When you're going to do a name change on the passport, I w- what I would do is let's not second guess what you're going to do here. I, I was told that when you get your name changed, that is when you can get a passport with no Social Security. And we're, we're trying to get out to immigration. I, I need to get over to immigration. I got to find their office here. I'm in a different area now. To ask them, um, I'm, I'm going to do a claim for nationality. I don't want you to say place of birth anymore. I'm not a baby no more. I need to uh, claim my nationality. But you can get a passport without a Social Security,
4: but they said
2: you have to have a name change. And when you get a name change, you can do that.
4: Hmm? So can you take the um, name decree and that the the SS5 to the uh, post office?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think you can. But if they don't do it, then I think I would do that with um, the Secretary of State. If you, if they don't get what you're saying, or you might, you know, they have a form. You know that, right? With um, the passport where it says get two people that you know that can identify who you are.
4: Oh, right. Because I already have one. It's just expired.
2: Right. Uh, I know a guy. He went in. He got a name change. And he said he went before, and they told him, no, we know you have a Social Security. We know that you have, um, uh, you can't do one without a Social Security. He said, why? He goes, well, if you had your name changed, we, you come right over here and we'll do it without a Social Security, but we can't do it with that name because you already tied a social to that. I mean, like, it's already tied in. You already had a passport, so we're just going to give you another one, with, you know, with the same information. So I would be trying to, um, I would try to change my nationality first with immigration and naturalization before you go in getting the passport because you don't want them to write. Like I'll I'll give an example. It'll say your state of birth, right, and then it'll say United States of America. Um, That means that you don't have a nationality yet. You can you can get your nationality first. And then go in and do the other things that you're trying to do.
4: And so that would be a uh, national private citizen we're looking to, to, to get? Yeah, citizen? you're going to
2: be called. Um, you know what? I don't know what this guy is in here. He He's going to look it up. He said they told him what it was. I think it was non-citizen. He was saying that you want to do some paperwork to get a certificate of non-citizen national. And that, you know what, that is also in our file section. All the papers to do that is in the file section um, because we haven't done that. And you know what, I have proof now. He went to, um, he just went to the immigration office and they looked up his information and they told him, we don't have any record of you being an American here in our office. So you see, you're not an American. They, they only have information about U.S. citizens, but they don't have you down in their list as an American. So that was, like, you know, the best thing that he went in there. I said, you see people, you keep saying, I'm an American. And he goes into the immigration office and he, he shows them his information. They said, nope, you don't have no record about you being an American. So that means so that he doesn't have a nationality.
4: Um. So that makes them private,
2: too? Or? Um, You're private, but you're a U.S. citizen. So you're under that tribunal military uh, control because you haven't come forward after the age of 18 to claim your nationality.
4: Right, right. So you were supposed, we were supposed Security. to do that.
2: We just didn't do it. Huh?
4: I was at Social Security the other day, and I made the mistake of... Um, I tried to look for the right side of the Social Security, but there was only one side of it, and it was the um, upper uppercase side of Social Security, you know, with the bulletproof glass and everything. And I tried to give her the the Creed individual order name change, and they would not accept it. Mm. You know what? I don't know. Depends on where you're at, because a lot of places the people
2: did it, and Like, uh, the people here in Texas that did that, they told me that now they were told that they have to get it done through
4: Baltimore.
2: You know, like the headquarters?
4: Oh, so just send uh, Baltimore a certified copy of the uh, decree?
2: Yeah, and then tell them you need a conveyance. But you know what? Still, still, people, I'm thinking here that you need to go in and claim a nationality as well. And you want you know why? Because Social Security has I think four or five um definitions for you on their paperwork and <laughs> you have to correct that. There I said there were seven doors you gotta kick down, so
4: I was just gonna ask you that. You never mentioned all those doors.
2: <laughs> I did the other day on Tuesday.
4: Well you you never like named them off. You said there were seven.
2: Yeah, I, I said know. it was Superior court or the court where you get your name changed.
4: Okay. Um, I'm sorry.
2: The, FES, yeah. the federal, which is Social Security, then you got to go back to Vital Statistics to incorporate, and then you got to do your nationality change. That is on uh, Immigration or the Secretary of State, which the paperwork is on the Legal File the section. And uh, section, then you have Department of Commerce which we're going in right now. This is, I can't tell you that step fully because that's what we've done right now. I just filed for my uh, numadent from Department of Commerce, which holds your Book of Life. Um, what else was it?
4: Uh, Department uh, of Commerce,
2: IRS, and United States Treasury.
4: Thank you. Okay, so... um. And That's then with that, I'm going
2: to shut up now so Southern can finish doing his... Uh, Southern, do not let me talk. I'm going to be quiet. Thank
4: you. <laughs> you want to <laughs> bet?
2: You there, Julia? I'm muting.
3: Julia, are you there? What? Is Julia there? Devonde? Hello?
2: what are the does dig- she have a three- what are the first three digits uh nine five four <laughs> all right let me look' cause she could be muted
3: Julie if you're there star six yourself and come in We can hear you.
2: Okay, get ready because you have a lot of Florida in here, so hold on.
3: No. Star six or something. Okay. Star six? Yeah, hold oh. on. Star six.
2: She's already in, isn't that her?
3: Hello? No, you, um, you unmuted me. I'm also from 954.
2: Oh, okay, okay, I'm sorry.
3: No, we're not here with you.
2: Maybe she's not here
3: but she will if you are right she wolf, if it's called uh general counseling hey as
2: There's long no as you guys can you know what as long as you guys take my notes and you find these people i'm happy because i need to lead you guys in the right direction and that's why we're going to now continue doing the calls weekly um uh it's <laughs> A lot of work, but like I said, I can't give you every instruction yet until we're done. Like with that, right now we're working with um, Department of Commerce and putting in our paperwork because um, you guys weren't on the call last week. But um, I was telling the people that were on the call that I had a little story told to um, one of my little ones, my kids. They're not little anymore, but they they had called the Treasury. And the Treasury told them they got a they got a number, a direct line number to the Treasury. And the lady from the Treasury told her, You've taken a couple of steps forward and um you you are too you're too far ahead. You need to take a few steps back and she said, Well, how would I have known if I was too far ahead? She said, Because the, the agency that gave you my number, you haven't finished your paperwork with them. See, they can. You know, you think that they 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 don't have any connections with each other, but they do because they look on their computers at your um. You know, they look at your stuff and they know that you haven't finished or you have things yet that you have to do. So she asked the lady, you know, will you tell me? Will you tell me what I need to do? And she says, I I am not allowed to do that. Um, But I did tell you that you're two steps ahead of yourself, and um, take three steps back. That means Treasury, IRS, and probably Department of Commerce. She needs to work with Department of Commerce now. And she says, nobody, nobody gets to me until they do their research right. You will get to me when you do it right. So basically, this is a game. And, you know, that was a confirmation that this is a game. So, um, uh, as long as you guys know that what you're after is the national treasure, which is you, um, you as an EWE, capital YOU, the principal of that account, then you know that you're, you're in the right direction. Um, I don't care what anybody says. Uh, we're just doing our own thing, and we're getting positive feedback, and that's what we've been looking for—is positive feedback. So, um, Julie, is that you? Hello.
3: Yeah, I'm gonna give her. I'm gonna put her on right now. Uh, okay. I won't have to tell you about our fun and games with uh, DCF.
1: Oh, okay. I, I guess I was—it was hard to unmute me, but um, let me come off the other line. Hi. Hello. And can you hear me?
5: Yep, we hear you.
2: Oh, hi. Okay. Hi, Steve. Well, how are you doing? It's been a little while. I couldn't find you on there. I was unmuting the entire state of Florida. I'm just kidding. Oh, my goodness.
1: <laughs> I, and I was sitting there, but I don't know. I guess it didn't work out. That's okay. I'm glad that I was still able to, to come All on. right. Okay. Um. Yeah, I just wanted to just share a little tidbit about just to support you guys and to what what you're saying is true 100%. I had had an issue with DCS. Apparently, my daughter spoke to a therapist, and the therapist didn't like the conversation and thought that it was appropriate to call DCS immediately, and the next day they were at my door with two officers. So, of course, you know, unprepared. Um, and my mother, not me, um, she did open the door. I know I've heard of, you know, don't open the door, open the window, But we, we did open the door. They came in and said, well, we have, um, we heard that one of your daughters uh, wants to commit suicide. And we've come in to in, investigate and inspect. And, the one, you know, they do want to do that walk around and uh, see if you got food and if your kids were okay. So my mother let them in, sat them down, and um, they came in and, you know, thank goodness the house was clean, but um, they came in and they um, walked around, looked and said, uh, my mom said, okay, fine. She said, you see, here you go. Now, you know, let's, let's you know, we can leave. Well, no, we'd like to interview all the children. So my mother says, well, well they're minors, so I don't agree with that. She says, well, they said, well, that doesn't apply to this situation, so we're going to have to interview them separately. My mom says, well, you're going to have to keep the door open so I can hear the conversation. My mother's been hearing a little bit from legal deception, so she's not an idiot, you know. Okay. So, she, um, so she said, I don't agree with what you're doing, but they did it anyway. So these kids, of course, were terrified. Um, I ran out the side door with my 4-year-old, which they didn't see that, because I had no idea what they were gonna do. I was afraid, of course, when they come in and sure everyone understands this is a very um it's a very scary moment because, you know, especially where I'm my area, they've taken dozens of children immediately from parents in this area that I'm in. So I didn't know what to expect. So I hauled butt with my four year old with no shoes, no purse <laughs> down the street while my mother dealt with them in the front. So you have officers, you have two DCF workers with their chest puffed out, you had two police officers with their chest puffed out, saying while asking questions of the children, um, where's your mother, where, um, wh- why is she, uh, where is she, and they, the questions had nothing to do with why they were called. So they were intimidating the children. So they didn't know what to say. So they kind of said, I have four children, five children, actually. So they had four there, and they um, asked them all different questions. And, of course, they were crying, and they didn't know what to say. So some of their questions were, um, you know, um, why is your mother not here? When did you last see her? Um, Nothing to do with the suicide that they're claiming they came for. So I noticed there was a conflict. So, um, of course, we panicked, and my mother, you know, said to them, all right, is that enough? Well, we're going to come back and check on the children again. So, um, my mother was like, oh, no, we're not going to have this. So, you know, of course, we talked to Chandler, and we got together and had a meeting, and of course, I, you know, I'm feeling that I shouldn't come back to my home, so, you, you know, you feel homeless, you feel, I don't know if anyone has, has gone through this, but it is a completely, uh, scary, you know, uh, unsettling situation where you go from happiness to take, they're, you know, going to threatening to take your children if you don't cooperate. So, um, you know, just to make a long story short, um, it's very true what the children has been telling everybody that this is a ranking military tribunal. There's these officers and these agents that come and see you, they have people to answer to, and they violate a whole bunch of statutes just coming in and harassing your children and doing all of these things. So, I and mean, if you don't talk about that and tell them that they're going to harass you, So they came back next week and said, well, we feel that there's other people living here and we want to do another inspection. So, um, of course, you know, I called you guys, too, and I appreciate the the advice. And my mother said, um, no, you're not coming back in. You did your inspection. You took pictures of all my children. You know that they're alive. They're safe. They're fine. Why would you do any more further investigation? It's not necessary. Well, ma'am, if you don't cross I'm just I'm going to go to the courts and get it ordered. So my mother said, well, you go ahead and do that, and uh, you get back to me. That's fine. You do what you got to do. So, oh, so you want to play hardball with us, huh? Okay, Or well, I'll take every child in your house, and we're going to and basically tell us, they basically were saying, well, we're going to screw you over and take your kids. And my mom said, that's fine. Just do what you got to do. So um, we drafted for hello, hello, how are you letter. <laughs> And sent it to, um, Tell them who I Sent one to. to DCF, the head of DCF, one to the sheriff because the police were here also accompanying the intimidation, and one to, uh, oh, who was the other one? The governor of Florida, letting them know that, hey, your people are coming here and harassing us. So we draft up uh, some documents and sent it in. And, um, of course, you know, you don't feel comfortable in your home anymore. So it, it it was, it was to me, it was definitely an act of war, you know. So so they went from puffed up with pride and threatening, and every time they come in and just come with one officer, they came with two officers, sometimes three officers. And then the next when the second time they came in was the supervisor and then and three officers. So after this letter that we sent um DCF accepted the letter but the sheriff and the governor have yet to cuz we sent it through the certified mail with a return receipt and we want to know who signed off on it they refused to even get we never even got that back however <laughs> yeah we got didn't even get it even acknowledged however the woman that came, the first DCF woman came with herself puffed up with pride, came in like a slotty wife, coming to the door almost in a bow-down position and knocked on the door. So my mother opened the sliding glass door because she's not, she says, I'm not opening the door this time because I've already sent this letter. And the lady said, the DCF worker says, oh, ma'am, um, we just wanted to let you know that we are closed your case. So I just wanted to let everybody know that, you know, the the confidence that you get when you understand how this works and how what Southern's been telling everybody has always been the truth because everything that I've been directed, these documents that they have on legal deception, they work. I've used them, and they've worked all the time. And I think I've used them maybe six times, and they've worked six out of six. So I'm just telling you as personally to do your research and to stick to it and understanding this is a ranking system. We're talking to the wrong people. You're fighting with the wrong people. You have to understand who's who and who to talk to in order for them to leave you alone. So I just wanted to share this with everybody. And to those that are in my position right now, um, you know, there
2: is a relief. And, you know, I want to is- say congratulations to you because, you know, every time she told me what was happening, I wished I was in Florida because that's my home state over there. I would give her a high five. I'm like, okay, we did it again. We're going for
1: them. <laughs> yes. And you know what's so crazy about it? They come in mm-hmm. with their, ha- their heads in the air and, yeah. and they come in like, you know, you know, like they're ready to fail to murder you. And this woman was almost on, on almost like bended knee and was looking down as she talked to us. To this, she was almost on, I just wanted, I wish I took a picture of how she came to us because I was there at the window when she came. <laughs> it was almost like she, you knew she was chastised beyond belief. Yeah. The fact that yeah. even she came to us. And when she knocked on the door and says, Ma'am, I'm um, ma'am and, and <laughs> I, I to this yeah. I still can't believe it. She, um, we we decided to close your case immediately. We also did the same thing that you were talking about too. We were called the police officials okay. demanded mm-hmm. bonds, n insurance policies, who's who, uh um, not the and they don't want it.
2: And all of a sudden they'll say that their stuff is confidential yes, they or classified, they right? They start getting nervous. They yeah. start getting nervous. And then, like, because
1: my, my mother was in on it, too. She did not as well while I was calling on the other phone. So we, we were both double-hitting them back. And they were yeah, saying, does this matter do regarding <laughs> a possible suit? Yeah, where they said, does this matter regarding a possible suit? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so that, then they are now where, when my mother called, they already identified her. So she didn't even have to say her name. They said, yes, Miss Lawson, um, just a yeah. minute. We're going to send you to da-da-da-da-da. So they panicked. Like they went yeah. from um, BSO to, uh, yes, Miss Lawson, um, we'll send you to this department right away. So if Bye. you understand who you are, they will understand who they are. So uh, if you see how the seats change when you get to understand how this is, and it's very good because I'll tell you that someone like me went from sheer, utter shaking to homelessness to high confidence, and it gave me the drive to help others do more research and say that, you, you know, if you understand how things work, you understand you're the one that's the boss. (laughs) And if you look at the, there's an organizational chart, and if everyone Googles it, you will see a DCF organizational chart, and if you, you look at it, and the high honcho of the organizational chart, and it says the people. And then second to that is the governor. So most people don't understand that. So the people yeah. are the ones that are in charge this UCF department. And <laughs> so you know what else, too, that, that
2: the, people, the people don't realize that you are over the governor. So when, let's exactly. say you're talking to, like, the Secretary of State, right? The Secretary of State, when they tell you um, we don't represent the people, we represent the corporation, that it, they're telling you the truth. They cannot represent you. How can they represent you if you're their boss? That's right. You get and it? They like, have they to take control of the you, corporation.
1: That's right. And how do they know that unless you send them a letter and say that you are? And that's exactly what we did. This is who we are. Who are you? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then, well, then. You did. And that's really what it's about. It's really not, It's less, it's so simple that you feel stupid simple. But once you understand it, it makes sense, so I just wanted to share that and, and encourage others. you know it's not i' I'm, I'm
2: still every time I hear your name Julia, I am the happiest <laughs> person in the world because you know what I always say that like every time someone gives me a positive outcome of their story, um yeah. to me, I write down another one bites the dust, why because yeah and, I and have a mom that right now, my
1: mom too, you know what I mean like she's just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can't just come to her door and you can't just call her. Like she just, you just. That's right, that. more power to mama. <laughs> yeah, she's, you know, and she's 65 years old. So you're not just going to come on her property and, and <laughs> you know, and and say, what you know, so people are actually, and I'll, you know what's funny? If I can just throw uh-huh. this in. My daughter, a 15-year-old, um, these officers have been trolling this community for years. So they've seen my children that they don't know of them, but now they do. So when my daughter walked by, one of the women that came to the home and interrogated her, my daughter said, hello. Did the, the officer just put her head down and said hello?
2: Put her head down and said hello. Yeah. So I'm so proud know. of we you, you, your children, you, your children, your mom.
1: Yes. So my daughter was confident herself. And said hello even after, just to say, you know, because yeah. she wasn't, you know, trying to be, um, what's the word, rude after. She just, was, just mm-hmm. wanted to, I guess, feel her
2: out to see what
1: attitude she had after this case.
2: <laughs> right. Well, you know, and you know what, too? We're not supposed to be afraid of a local law enforcement. What happens is, is that because everybody runs from them, like, people, you're not supposed to go to war with them, not even in a conversational war, like, um, whenever, a, uh, let's say an officer approaches me, and he says, I want this, this, and this, and I've already told you what my little secret thing is, I give them a passport instead of a license, yeah. uh, and you guys weren't on the call last week, somebody had questioned me, um, do you give them, um, did you need a license to get a sticker for the car? No, I had a passport. And and since I don't have a license, they said all you need really is some insurance and your passport. Other, she says all we need to know is who's going to cover the liability if you crash that car or if you injure someone. That's all that matters to us. So I also found out that day. Um, for those of you who missed the other call, the state told me this. Um, I told she said, "Is this your address?" I said, "No." Do you want me to tell you the address? Because I don't have anything with documentation for the address. He said, "Oh, look, I found one on this insurance paper." She says, "No, nope, I don't need to know where you live." She goes, "I got to tell you though. When you move from one state to another, she says the state law says we don't do address forwarding. So now I know why when we're born." Like when you're born a local county and you turn 18 and you leave home and you go to some other state, they still list you. Even if you file for your passport in, um, like for me, I'm Florida. Um, they still wrote Indiana on my passport because that's the state of birth. And it's showing that they can't find, it's a stupid rule. But she said the state yeah, has rules. The yeah, they don't forward you, so you know what, you are lost at sea. Because I mean, at sea meaning this: if you did, if you did my birth certificate training um, Monday, we talked about the disappearance of life. There were two deaths listed on vital statistics, and one was called the disappearance of life. So when I looked up disappearance of life, it says that they haven't heard or seen from you in a long time like if, if you know they have a seven-year rule that if you if they don't hear from you or your parents um that agency let's not talk about oh I, my kid went to school or he went to the no every agency is on its own and um i read also my email last week that uh it was uh, typed uh whenever you talk to the state now they'll give you a transcript of your conversation And the lady said, no agency works with each other. We are all separate. And she is the general counsel for the state's government administration. She says whenever something changes, she says you have to go to that agency so that they can take note of um, like what I was telling you right now where um, I was in Florida for 30 years but this passport said Indiana. And then um, you don't have to use uh, uh, the license, but the reason why the officer is asking you for your license is because under his jurisdiction, which the word juris means the law, diction means to speak. So the law that he's speaking to you is his policy and procedure manual he is required to ask you for a license okay um and that and that is something that's really important that you guys have to learn is he cannot ask you for anything else except for the license and if you don't have that you have to give him something to show who you are otherwise you're what illegal that means he can take you and throw you at the border of Mexico because he doesn't know where you came from. So you don't have to give him that. We looked up the Texas rules. Up, um, I think it was under the transportation code. It says that all you needed to do was display um, your identity to him, and that was it. It doesn't say give it to him or let him run your name or anything like that. So I don't do that. I put the passport. And so if you give him the passport, he's going to look at your passport, but he can't write you a ticket for a passport because that's out of his jurisdiction. That's the Department of State's jurisdiction. Now, when I was next to the trooper, see, and the trooper saw that my um, my sticker was expired, he didn't do anything because he's what? He's a state trooper and the um sticker is controlled by who The county see they don't cross jurisdictions people and um that's something really big really big people that you guys learn from us because many people were going to jail and they'll say i had a right to travel and that the uh, supreme court said it was unconstitutional you know why because you have other forms of identification that you can acquire and get and show that to them, and that takes you out of the jurisdiction. As a matter of fact, if you're using a passport, um, it puts you in the United States of America and the state of whatever you're at, but it's not going to put you under the jurisdiction of um, of the state where you're at, and you don't have a passport that says I'm supposed to be in this state, which is what, the license. When you get the license, then he has appropriately given you a ticket because the license says, I am an operator and driver of a motor vehicle. When you take that test, you look in there, it says the operator and the driver of what, the motor vehicle, you can't give them a license. And then go into court and say, nope, I was within my right to travel. You can't do that. You know why? Because you gave him the license. Even if it's expired, he's given you an, you know why? You gave him, him an expired license. You gave him a license that um, uh, was already, uh, what do you call that when they um, A suspended license. Okay? It doesn't matter. You handed him a license that says that you're an operator and driver of a motor vehicle.
4: So, Mm -hmm. you don't
2: have a dispute. Right,
3: Southern? Well, well, a lot of people get this confused. Because I pulled it up on the military manual, uh, 190-5, and I pulled it up in uh, several other places. It does not mean uh, driving in commerce. If you're operating a motor vehicle, it says you need a license. And that's what it says. Yep. I don't know where these guys are getting this commerce stuff from. Uh, I guess that's part of the fantasy of the... uh, It doesn't even have anything to
2: do. It doesn't even have anything to do because, see, the people are misconstruing the word jurisdiction, but I'm going to tell you what, that um, I just found something uh, that will help you to understand um, the word jurisdiction. Um, I told you it means to speak the law, and they can only speak to you in the language of the law of their employer. Okay, that's right. So no matter how many times you get, you tell him <clears throat> when you're talking to that police officer. No matter how many times you tell that man, I have a right to travel, and you gave him, you put the license. In the window, but you know, and you don't have to give it to them, but you show them that you have a license, right? It's not going to matter because um, it's about the language of the law. I think I have it in here. Um, let's see in here. I just, uh, uh, you see, look at this is the word. This is the meaning of jurisprudence. The meaning of the word jurisprudence has gone through several mutations until now. It has become to signify to us merely the science of human law and to include within it everything within the domain of the law. Okay? And, um, okay, the term jurisprudence defines, Um I'm reading this to you from the American Law and Procedures book. <laughs> American Law and Procedures Book, it's in PDF. You can find it probably at Google Books, and it says, the term jurisprudence, like every other important term, which takes its hue, remember how you say color of law, people? From the whole complex life of mankind. If ever needing to be defined afresh in the ever new language of each succeeding age. Now. Um, what do they mean by that? What they mean is that when you're talking to people and they say license and then you go to um, Social Security, they're calling you what? A beneficiary or dependent or survivor's benefit. That's their language, okay? You don't ever hear the police saying, oh, you're a survivor, you're a retiree. No, that's not his language to speak to you. He's speaking you in his legal language. And that language is copyright to his policing that he does locally. Does the police officer use the words that a state trooper would use against you? Yes and no. They start to combine. And then there's a little thin, thin line when the local stops and then the state comes in and it becomes their jurisdiction. Um, If you go to the hospital... They have a medical terminology and language and legal language of a medical profession where they call you, what, an infant. And then you come in, you're the minor. Okay. So when you're talking about birth certificates, you're talking about um, the child. Why? Look in there. It's telling you what they call you. The vital statistics call you a child. And you are a child until you die, until you change that status of that birth certificate that you're not a child anymore. And um, let me see. The simple knowledge of laws without these lacks the scientific requisite of jurisprudence. As a science, jurisprudence is analytical. That is to say it deals with the various relations which are regulated by legal rules rather than with the rules themselves, abstractly speaking. And um, once you understand that, depending on who you're talking to, they are not, like if you tell them, you go in and you go to Social Security or someone, and you tell them, I'm not an infant student, Uh, I'm not a child, you know, they're looking at you, they know you're not a child. And they're thinking, but we don't call you a child. We call you the beneficiary or the one receiving the benefit or the disabled or the, um, survivor's benefit, the widow or whatever they use, whatever they call you in there, they have their own definitions for you. But, um, and when you're dealing with business now, business itself in commerce in a courtroom, you become an entity, but all of them, you know, you have you have to go to each door. Why? That's why I said there's seven doors. Is because you have to tell these different agencies that you, um, you're an adult, you're um, over the age of 18, you're no longer a minor, you're not a missing infant, decedent, you're an American or whatever nationality you want to take, and that um, you're a non-combatant. Like they believe the state believes you're in a militia. You go in, you do your peace treaty. You, you change your status. You have to go to each one because you walked away just like I did, and we, we went off and kick-started our world, and we didn't look back. And, you know, they're, they're saying, yeah, we administrate you because we don't know where you went to. Is it fair? No. Because you see the state says we don't do forwarding addresses. If you're 18 and you leave the state, guess what? And we don't know where you're at, and we declare you missing later. We don't see any more activities within our state by your uh, transactions of, you know, you're a transmitting utility. So if they don't see any more transactions, then they're going to say, you know what? We think they're missing. We're going to start administrating them. Um, and maybe the first thing we're supposed to
4: do before you leave was
2: get your nationality straightened out. Um, you're an adult now. Um, I showed the other day on the show that in the beginning you were, you know, you're under the protection of the government until you're 18. They know where you're at at all times, but when you're 18, that's it. They don't have to do anything for you, and um, they won't do anything for you. But also they, um, you know, we have this, uh, like I was explaining the other day, the Cuban wet foot, dry foot policy is when they jumped off the boat, and they hit the land on the sand with their feet, they automatically were protected by the United States Constitution. Because they landed with their feet on the ground before the Coast Guard can capture them and, and take them and register them. These registry, they didn't get a chance to be put on the registry because um, they got off the boat. But we aren't people. We got off the boat, all right, from our mama's body. And they did what? They captured your feet. Says, what is it? Your feet never touched the sand. It never touched the ground. And um, I don't know if my little buddy's going to come in here, but he would have told you that when he called into, um, like I said, he called the immigration. And they said, we don't have nobody with that name or identity uh, that's listed here in our registry as, that you're an American. We don't have anyone. So they have an appointment now to go before them to claim their nationality. So I'm really happy, Um, you know, for those of you who are sticking around, um, you have to go through a nationality. Um, I haven't given you those instructions yet because I'm waiting for him to go through his appointment. Um, I'm going to Dallas to go talk to them. They told me to bring in my papers Uh, They want to see my decree, and I'm just going to get questions answered because I'm going to be leaving. My mom is in Indiana right now, and um, I'm going to be seeing her to – she's going to validate who I am since they changed my identity. But um, for those of you that are still having problems with the Social Security and your conveyance, you'll have to write to the headquarters in Baltimore to – be able to do your conveyance. But I believe that you should uh, do your uh, change of status from being a U.S. citizen to your nationality. Uh, If you continue to use your place of birth, um, we were reading to you the other day um, that the place of birth means um, the place where the... uh, the organization was created. See, look, and I'm gonna read it to you again, okay? Uh, hold on. Um, a registered organization that is organized under the law of a state is located or in that state, okay? Um, in the state that the law of the United States designates, if the law designates a state of location, Okay, when they're talking about your um, uh, place of birth, please, you're telling them, uh, I'll give you examples that I would say, like East Chicago, Indiana. But the birth certificate paperwork application says that you should have been asked, um, do you want to use place of birth or did you want to pick a nationality? And I think this is where the hospital tricks you and they leave it at place of birth instead of um, asking your parents, well, wow, you want to choose a nationality? Maybe they can't do it, or, you know, and maybe they're saying, you know what, we don't. We didn't ask that question because when you're 18 is when you get to choose your own nationality. We don't ask your parents because um, maybe you want to be your mom's nationality or you want to be your dad's, and we don't want to make that determination for you, but it has both of them on there. it says, place of birth and the second thing that would go in its place is your nationality okay people so um when they put the all caps name they're talking about the organization The a registered organization continues to be located in the jurisdiction Specified by ERF of this section, and guess what? This is what you're going through right now, people. Notwithstanding, that means if you don't correct things right, um, you are you are still going to be located when they when they look for where you're at. Now, listen, that would fall for me too. When I get my passport, it said Indiana and United States of America. See, it says here. Uh, registered organization continues to be located in the jurisdiction specified by ERF. E is where? A registered organization that is organized under the state of law located in that state. So you were registered, like say New York or Georgia. You're still registered there. Your passport, if you have one, proves it. And the second place is the United States is located in the District of Columbia. So The second place, there's two things on your passport the state where the organization was created, and the second state, the United States District of Columbia. Okay, that's the two places that you're seeing on your passport. So that means what they haven't located you yet, and that means we have to fix that. Okay, that's really important for you to know, and I got that from. Southern document called Location of So you guys you guys all need to download that document. It clearly tells you that you abandoned your organization when we left town or, you know, we went to get married or whatever. It doesn't matter. There's another place holding the information you have a social security number which is department of commerce and um i had told everybody you know you're going to have to do um if you want to i mean you you want to know if somebody's hijacked your identity right then you go to the department of commerce and do your freedom of information act to find out if anybody's doing commerce under your your identity I don't know if Southern wants to add to that since he, it's his document. Um, the location of Depter uh, is is a good document that he's um, acquired like um, State of Mississippi. It has the State of Mississippi's code. Um, It says, regular session, not including changes and corrections made by the Joint Legislative Committee on Compilation, Revision, and Publication of Legislation. The final official version of statutes affected by 2016 legislation will appear on Lexis.com. So uh, another one, Title 75, Regulation of Trade, Commerce, and Investments, Chapter 9, Uniform Commercial Code, Secure Transactions, Part 3, Perfection and Priority. Part 1, Law Governing Perfection and Priority. What does it say here? Mississippi Code, M-I-S-S, period, Code A-N-N, period, number 75, statute 75-9-307. If you guys have your PDF, you can look at it with me. Location of debtor. In this section, you see it's the same thing over and over. Look, place of business means a place where the debtor conducts its affairs. So every, and it's in every one. Look, it says, subsection, if the subsection B does not apply, the debtor is located where? In the District of Columbia. So what are they telling in the passport? If you're not in Indiana anymore, you're in the District of Columbia, okay? Because they can't find you. Um. And somebody will say, well, they want that so that they can um, charge you all the debts, right? You don't have it done yet, and they're still charging you all the debts with a heavy amount of burdens in local taxes, state taxes, utilities, like all these taxes, um, you're being charged um, because they can't... The way you're using your identity right now You're using it, and they're charging you anyway. So how is it that changing it the other way is the wrong way? Because they are locating you anyway through that social security number. So um, uh, the thing, let me see what else I was going to tell you. Um, There was something in here. Okay. Okay. Okay i tell you the government, they operate under policy and procedures, right? And it says here, policies are classified either as substantive or procedural. Substantive policies involve what government is going to do, such as constructing a highway, paying welfare uh, benefits, acquiring bombers, or prohibiting the retail sale of liquor. Substantive policies directly allocate advantages and disadvantages, benefits and costs to people. Procedural policies in contrast pertain to how something is going to be done or who is going to take action. So defined procedural policies includes laws providing for the creation of administrative agencies Determining the matters over which they have what, people? Jurisdiction. Specifying the processes and techniques that they can use in carrying out what? Their program. And providing for presidential, judicial, and other controls over what? Their operation. So, you know, I I had it the other day, and I, I lost my track over here, but I found that because I wanted you to understand that the, when I'm telling you the officer, he can't ask you for a passport. He can't ask you for your state ID. Or he can't ask you for um, your birth certificate. You have to provide him with whatever you have. Because um, the only thing he can ask you for is a license. You're inside of a car. To him, it's not a car under jurisdiction of that agency, you're in a motor vehicle. But when you give him a passport, now you're a traveler riding in a car or whatever other name that they would call, but you're like a traveling person now. So that's out of what? His jurisdiction. And I I wanted to read it because that's what I major in is administration, not in, um, I don't, even what I do is a law. But that's just to show you the breakdown of how the government works. And um, there was something else, too, um, about the, what's called the, let me see, um, we were going into the incorporation doctrine. Uh, let's see here. Kind of, if I have so many, okay. Um, but the, the incorporation doctrine is it's a constitutional doctrine through which selected provisions of the Bill of Rights are made applicable to the states through the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. This means that state governments are held to the same standards as the federal government regarding certain constitutional rights. And the Supreme Court could have used the Privileges and Immunities Clause of the 14th Amendment to apply the Bill of Rights to the states. However, in Slaughterhouse Cases 83, U.S. 36, the Supreme Court held that the Privileges and Immunities Clause of the 14th Amendment placed no restriction on the police powers of the state. And it was intended to apply only to citizens of the individual state. This effectively put state laws beyond the review of the Supreme Court to circumvent this the Supreme Court began a process called selective incorporation by gradually applying selective provisions of the Bill of Rights to the states through the 14th Amendment due process clause. so when I was telling you guys that you um, say well I have a right because of the Constitution. You don't have any rights because the Constitution isn't for you. It is for the federal government, and that is their rules and regulations that they use to govern these states. Remember, the states are what? Subdivisions? So how are they going to govern them? Like saying that, like what Southern was saying, The child support, it became what? A uniform law across all the states because dads would just leave town and remember I said they they can't track you? Well, they made it, what, a federal thing where they get the Uniform Law Commission to come in and make it applicable to all the states. That's what the Constitution is for, is the governing of all those states. And you have other states, too. Your estate, too when you say, and in your income tax. I'm an individual. That's another state, and that's totally different from you claiming a nationality. That is your state of being. So, when they say selective incorporation, I'm reading to you now from the incorporation doctrine. It's um, gradual. Okay, so they're they what are they doing, people? They are what? They are incorporating provisions of the um, Bill of Rights into what? To the states through the 14th Amendment due process clause. So um, if you look at the paper, it has First Amendment Guarantees the Establishment of a Religion, and Southern put in some, uh, I don't know where he got it from, but there's cases in here to match this First Amendment right. You see, it has different ones to look, Cantwell versus Connecticut. Hamilton versus Regents of University of California. Everson versus who Board of Education? Okay, now look at this. Board of Education is what? An agency within the state. Um, they could be um, stated uh, under the Articles of Incorporation as a, an education system. Regents of the University of what? California. Cantwell versus who? Connecticut. Uh, Gitlow versus who? New York. Now, that is what they mean by the incorporation doctrine is when, when the feds have control over all the states of what people being. A state isn't a real place. It is a non-physical, juridical entity. If you're an individual, guess what? You're an individual entity, as stated. You're the way you are right now. You are something as well, even though you're not, you know, you're silent. You didn't realize you can claim a nationality or uh, doing um, business as. You can also do that DBA as whatever you're doing business as. Nonprofit, profit. Uh, I walk around with a nonprofit. Why? Because when I hand my papers to the police, that's it. Have a nice day. Why? Because he doesn't. He's not allowed to govern a nonprofit. That not you out of what, people? His jurisdiction. He's only looking for licensed drivers of motor vehicles. Okay. Does he have a, Does he have an obligation to protect you? No. He has an obligation to what? Protect the United States and their, you know, the, the government system and the public in general, the public at large. But he has no obligation to you personally at all. Fifth Amendment. Let me see. Second Amendment: right to keep and bear arms. McDonald versus Chicago. And you know what? I have something here. Um, I found my book Southern. I got them both out for you um, about the um, uh, the Constitution. I got it out finally. Um, okay. They're talking about the Constitution. This is a debate on the Constitution. It says that the administration of justice under the powers of the judicial will be dilatory. That it will be attended with such a heavy expense as to amount to little short of denial of justice to the poor and middle class, middling class of people who, in every government, stand most in need of protection of whom the law, and that the trial by jury, which has so justly been the boast of our forefathers as well as ourselves, is taken away under them. So, You know, they're telling you, um, you know, that uh, this Constitution had a problem. And Benjamin Franklin even said it. He said if it weren't for the pressure being put on him, he wasn't even going to sign that Constitution. Because he was saying there were so many things that were just left so uh, open. It was too broad in in the scope of defining that. He said it it was allowing them um like a power unknown to what this is what we are going through right now. Because they the Bill of Rights, um that are in there it doesn't put enough uh restriction. It's just saying, we're gonna give you these Bill of Rights to do these things. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't do other things either, like still have your slaves. We're just giving you this little bit of bill of rights. You can have more or less a little bit of knowledge on what you can can do and when you are going to start to be morally wrong with the other things that you do. That's all it means. So when they're talking about the incorporation of that um, doctrine of the federal government, the constitutional laws, it's like um, you living in a city and the city was just what? Annexed into the county, right? Now what are they? A part of the county. So, you have the city coming after you, the county coming after you, but you don't see the state coming after you. They don't. That, that's out of their jurisdiction, okay? That's called incorporation right there is when they annex or add to it. You're adding a launching something to something. You're joining. It's like a joiner. You know, we're going to put it in uh, here. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Now we have two or three people attacking us at the same time on a different what? jurisdiction. So, um, uh, incorporation, let me see, um, see, I'm trying to see, uh, uh, unwarranted search and seizures. Okay. The doctrine of selective corporation or simply the incorporation doctrine makes the first 10 amendments to the constitution known as the Bill of Rights, what? Binding on the state. Through incorporation, state governments largely are held to the same standards as the federal government with regard to many constitutional rights, including the First Amendment, freedoms of speech, religion, and assembly, separation of what? Church and state. So if you are going to take your name and put it as a what? Nonprofit, now you are what? Your church. You're, you've taken your body, and now you're no longer a state person walking around your church. They can't commingle people. So meaning you go into court and you start trying to argue defense and your body is now the church, you're 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 wrong for that because they respect you. The courts respect you when you're doing something right. Like knowing that your body is not you don't have nothing documented that you're operating other than an individual under the state's control with your driver's license. Um let me see here. Um, Fourth Amendment. It says here freedoms from unwarranted arrest and unreasonable searches and seizures and to a speedy, fair, and public trial. Some provisions of the Bill of Rights, including the requirement of indictment by a grand jury, that's the Sixth Amendment, and the right to a jury trial in civil cases, Seventh Amendment uh-oh, people have not been applied to the states through the incorporation doctrine. So you don't have a right. Um, uh The states don't have to give you um, a provision of the Bill of Rights that require indictment by a grand jury. That means they can indict you in a courthouse without no grand jury if the state, because it's saying here, they didn't make that happen. Um, the right to jury trial in civil cases, seventh amendment? Nope. It wasn't a, it hasn't been applied to the state. So what does that mean? They don't have to give you a jury trial for a civil case because it's not applied to the state. Uh, when they talk about a four corners rule and you're talking about the Constitution of the United States and then you're going to talk to me about the Florida State Constitution. Okay, guess what? There's a box around both of them. That means the state cannot tell the feds what to do, and the feds cannot tell the state what to do. But if they've been incorporated, then they can't. The, the states can come, uh, feds can come in and say, you know what? You're under, the, under this clause of the rule and regulations. And you have to give all children of all colors a ride on the bus, even the white privilege. Now we they get to ride on the bus too. That's what the Fifth Amendment um, was for. It was for making everybody stand in their own boundary lines within their um, jurisdiction of their what? Policy and procedure of their agency. Even if you're a church and you write your bylaws, and you go in you file that with a secretary of state as, you know, that you're a church. Remember, you have a body now. You DBA yourself as a nonprofit. And you do some articles of incorporation. Guess what happens? You become what? Incorporated. And they annex you in there. And guess what? Now you are protected by the powers of who? The state. See, that's what the attorney general is doing. She's protecting the state corporation from who? From us. Why? Because... If we attack all the states because we're not happy, I mean, all the agencies because we're not happy, then everything goes to chaos. Her job is to maintain them separate from you. That's why they call it division of corporations. That's the dividing line between you and them. You're free. You're free to do whatever you want to. You're not bound to anything of them, but um, you actually put yourself under that jurisdiction by the things that we do. So we don't have a choice sometimes, but we do things that put us under their jurisdiction. So, um, and then it says here, let me see, he talks about the slaughterhouse cases. Um, okay. Instead of applying the Bill of Rights as a whole to the states, as it might have done through the Privileges and Immunities Clause, the Supreme Court has gradually applied selective elements of the First Ten Amendments to the state through the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. So, and what does that call, people? You can highlight it. Selective incorporation. So, they only took parts of the Bill of Rights and said, hey, this is what's going to apply to you guys here. You don't have to use all of them, but we're going to put some of these are um, important, so we need that to be incorporated within your state policy and procedures manual.
0: One of the earliest
2: examples of the use of incorporation doctrine, the court held that the First Amendment protection of freedom of speech applied to the state through the Due Process Clause. Then it was by court by 1940. Many civil freedoms, including freedom of the press, had been incorporated into the Fourteenth Amendment, as had many of the rights that apply to defendants in criminal cases including the right to representation by counsel in capital cases. In 1937, the court decided that some of the privileges and immunities of the Bill of Rights were so fundamental that the state were required to abide by them through the due process clause. So, you know, like they're saying the Constitution is just so broad that, um, you know, you're not really making it clear which provisions apply to us and that's why this case came in that i posted on my wall about the um foreign sovereign immunity act. like does the local government have foreign sovereign immunity because they are registered as what a municipal corporation that's a state of being um or a city city of whatever that's another entity and corporate being or um uh, I'm trying to think a oh, utility company what are they called public utilities um, and I don't know how they are list, uh, listed but all of these um, agencies they're either public or private as well but we know that um we've been finding out that the courts are operating under a, uh, I think they're well they're really operating in a three ecclesiastical private and public so um, they, that's how they switch hats you see the judge walk out of the court and then she comes right back in again. Well, let me tell you that. There was um, a DCF people trying to take someone's kids away. Let me see. I don't even know if they're in here. Um, is, my, is my guest in here that wanted to be on here at 9 o'clock? No? Yes? God, I don't even know she's here but if she's here I think Southern you have to star stick to unmute yourself.
3: Um, I don't know what yeah What star stick? I, I believe that's it, yes.
2: Okay, if you're in here, um I give you a minute to to come in. Um let me see here, uh okay. So they're fighting about here um about the judicial system in the making of the Constitution. This is Brutus the ninth. The courts of the representative respective states might therefore have been scarcely tru- securely trusted with deciding all cases between man and man, whether citizens of the same state or of different states, or between foreigners and citizens. And indeed I say see Every case that can arise under the Constitution or laws of the United States ought to ought in the first instance to be tried in the court of the what state, except those which might arise between states, and such as respect ambassadors or other public ministers and perhaps from different states. They're talking about your state of being, people, not a state like the um, state of Florida. They are talking about that too because that is another state. But they're talking about you and your and your the creating of your entity, however you want to categorize it. That's um, what they mean by the different states. The state courts would be under sufficient control. Wait a minute. Let me see. Um, okay, wait a minute. Except those which might arise in the court of the state, except uh, between states and. Uh, such as respect ambassadors or other public ministers, and perhaps such as call in question the claim of lands under grants and from what different states. The state court should be under sufficient control of writs of error were allowed from the state courts to the Supreme Court of the Union. According to the practice of the courts, in England. So the laws that they were created, people, it, it's the laws from the land of England. And so it's I'm reading this to you from my constitutional book. And um and of this state. So they're practicing two laws here so far that they say that it's gonna be the law the laws of uh, the court the same practice as they do in England and of this state. On all cases in which the laws of the union are concerned and perhaps to all cases in which a foreigner is a party this method would preserve the good old way of administering justice would bring justice to every man's door and preserve the inestimable right of trial by jury it would be it would be following as near as our circumstances will admit the practice of the courts in england which is almost the only thing I wish to copy in their government. So when they were creating the
4: Constitution,
2: um, you know, they're telling you here that uh, they're operating their courts just as like they did in England. Um, And there's something in here, which that's what I'm looking for for Southern. He wanted me to find this statement that... um, said that what they were about to do to us when they signed the Constitution, that they were going to betray us, and that if we knew that what they were about to do, that they, we would have had them all hung. So when I hear people saying, our founding fathers, our founding fathers and the Constitution, no. As a matter of fact, Ben Franklin, He would, I, I read this book um Through many, many chapters. And Ben Franklin's in a debate with them, and he's saying, I don't want to sign this Constitution. It stinks. He said, You know what? I just know, this is what he's saying. He's saying, I just know that in the long run, this is going to become a real big mess because your verbiage in this Constitution is so broad that he knew that the Constitution later would fail the people because, um, uh, basically, it, they had like a writing themselves some laws in here, the founding fathers, that would um, grant them superior privilege over the people and and to even overturn and amend a lot of the Constitution to their what? To their benefit. Everything they were doing, you know, he, he knew they were wrong and in his heart they, he felt that it was wrong. Um, another thing they were fighting about. <laughs> was um, uh, the the um, the militia. And it says here, uh, let's see, there was something in here that I wanted, I don't know, you, you guys are listening well, so I have a question for you, something I'm, I was reading here, but I'll read it to you in one second. This is, uh, I'm reading to you the Constitution, okay? So it says here, section five, Each house shall be the judge of the elections, returns, and qualifications of its own members. And a majority of each shall constitute a quorum, what? To do business. Okay? They knew right from the beginning, people, this was a business contract. Okay? This isn't a we the people for the people or we or by the people, anything like that. This was for conducting a business. This is Section 5. Uh, each house may determine the rules of its proceedings, punish its members for disorderly behavior, and that with the concurrence of two-thirds expel a member. You know, and it's the saying that they have to keep a journal of everything that they do, uh, any laws or bills that come in. But look what it says here. Accepting such parts as may in their judgment requires secrecy. And the yeas and nays of the members of either house or on any sh- question shall, at the desire of one-fifth of those present, be entered on the journal. So, um, as you see here, um, they're talking about internally in their own structure. They're allowed even, you know, to correct disorderly conduct. Um, they have to keep a journal. Uh, but And that they're operating as a business. So, they have to keep everything logged in. Uh, So senators and representatives shall uh, receive compensation for for their services, okay, to be ascertained by law and paid out by the Treasury of the United States. Um, There was something, uh, let's see, that they were, oh, here's the thing. I was talking to you guys last week about how these local governments, they, you think that they have a law and they steal your house. And I was telling you that I had asked, I did a challenge, like a judicial challenge to the, to the county that I, that's my house, that's my property. Show me where you got a higher authority to remove me from this property. So the clerk, oh, and I gave the county 30 days to answer, but I did it through the newspaper. So it was put in a newspaper and the clerk sent me the document. in and the document showed me uh, a law. It was an, it was an ordinance, and it says it gave her the right to um, have the sheriff take me out of my house under eviction. So I went to the tax assessor, which is the county, you know, tax assessor, and I said I need you to um, hook me up with someone. I need to validate this law. So he puts me with um, the guess what, people, general counsel uh, of the supervising. Board of Elections. So we go in, and um, he's looking. He goes, okay, I'm going to give you the law. He goes, I'm going to email you the law, uh, uh, or the law that she's using. So he gives it to me. He goes, I have it right there in raw format, so I'm going to scan it, and you're going to see the wedding signature. So I'm looking at it, and um, I saw only one signature on it. So I emailed him back, and I said, hey, there's only one signature on here. I want to see the anastic law. And he tells me, like he pauses, and um, this is when I talked to him, because he had told me, um, I had emailed him the question. He said for me not to email him, <laughs> that it's not good because everybody can see it. So um, basically... He said, he, you know, I talked to him on the phone. He goes, that is the law. I'm giving it to you with the, with the um, wedding signature. I'm scanning it to you from the original source. So I said, well, this law wasn't properly enacted. He goes, uh, yeah, I know you wrote that in your email, but you can't tell me that in an email. I said, why not? You just robbed probably half a million houses. Using this law, this is a phony law. It's not properly enacted, sir. You only have one signature on it. You have 13 commissioners. So he stays quiet, and that's why I was telling you guys the last time that he had said, just come in here and give me a note saying you want your house back. So I haven't done it because I have to stay there um, in my state, which I'm I'm just going to send them a claim, like a written claim for the property again, because I don't want the statute of limitations to run out. Okay, so does the statute of limitations run out for you? No. But the statute of limitations runs out for who? For them. As an agency, they can only take a case or whatever they're going to do, give you a benefit that they owed you or pay you for an injury or a wrong or you lost your house. You have like a statute of limitations from your state where they can honor your claim. But after a certain time frame passes, they're not allowed to do what? give you due process of your claim. So, um, that's something to know, you know, like look in your local laws. Um, I was looking for it today cause I wanted to, um, I wanted to discuss that ordinance that she was showing me where she has the authority to remove me from my home by doing an injunction and, uh, doing a writ of, uh, possession, uh, because If it's not showing properly enacted, you got thrown out of your foreclosed house, um, they can be in big trouble. Uh, Now you would take that kind of a gross negligence to the state and document it and to the ethics committee because you have to remember the ethics committee, they publish everything for the public viewing. So if you caught an agency doing wrong like that, they're going to try to give you back some house because they don't want you to talent on them. They'll be in trouble, big trouble. So um, uh, when I find the ordinance, I'm going to tell you what it is. I was looking for it, though. I just have thousands of files. So then you have um, the First Amendment, you know, it guarantees against the guarantee against establishment of religion, and then it has all those things. Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms, that's why Southern says we have also a disorganized militia. And that's why they can't take away your right to bear arms. The federal government hasn't done away with that because, um, as you will see, I don't have time to read it because it's really late, but I will read it to you next time. There's a debate in there. They're fighting. And they're saying we don't need a standing army. That's just the reason the tax the people and the senators are fighting because they're saying, you know, we just we're just making it here. We're barely making it. You want to have a standing army? Well, we have the militia, and they were talking heavily about like the militia and that people have a right to defend themselves on the land. And that's how we should do it. That we have a very good militia of people, um, and they were mad. That's what, another reason why they didn't want to sign off on the Constitution. Um, Freedom on Third Amendment, freedom from having soldiers quartered in my house, only incorporated against states within the jurisdiction of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, which includes Connecticut, New York, and Vermont. So um, those three states, they incorporated uh, the right, um, I think, when they're saying against within the jurisdiction so I only incorporated against the state. I'm not sure if they're saying here, but they probably are saying let me see here. That you can or cannot do that. Um let me see here. I'm trying to find the uh incorporation. Okay, let's see here. The right to bear arms. Let me see. Okay. Incorporated amendments. The second amendment was incorporated. Uh let's see. Sixth Amendment, the right to a jury selected from residents of crime location has not been incorporated. No incorporation, there was no incorporation of the Third and Seventh Amendment of the United States to the states. That means they're not held to the same standards, okay? Uh, The states, that means they're making up their own stuff for their state, and that part of the Constitution is not going to, um, uh, affect you. Uh, I mean, it's, it's probably going to affect you in a negative way, but because uh, it keeps these animals out of control. So, um, let me see, I'm trying to find uh, the other document I have.
4: Um, because I have so many things open. I think it's in, uh... Okay, sorry about that. So, um,
2: that one wasn't adopted. I mean, it wasn't incorporated. It says in here. Okay, Fourth Amendment. Freedom from unreasonable search and seizure. Requires any requirements and a warrant, and it has uh, information about that. So that means it was, I think it is incorporated. Yeah, it is. The next one was the Fifth Amendment. Right to indictment by a grand jury. It wasn't incorporated. It's saying here double jeopardy clause doesn't apply to you. right against self-incrimination doesn't apply to you. Protection against taking property without due compensation doesn't apply to you. See when it says it's not incorporated, that means the constitutional protections that are guaranteed and affordable to all people is not it doesn't exist. In the state, because they didn't, they didn't incorporate that part of the constitution to the state. Um, the sixth amendment, right to a speedy trial, let me see here, right to a public trial, right to an impartial trial, right to notice of accusations, right to confront hostile witnesses, right to compulsory process to obtain witness testimony, uh, right to confront favorable witnesses, Uh, Right to counsel, right to jury selected from the residents of the state and district where the crime occurred, not incorporated people. So the Sixth Amendment, it doesn't apply to the state. They can write their own rules and regulations on that. Uh, Seventh Amendment, guarantee of a right to jury trial in civil cases not incorporated people. That means they don't have to give you a jury trial in civil cases. The right to have no facts already tried by a jury reexamined in any court other than according to the rules of common the common law has been incorporated. So the right to have no facts already tried by a jury reexamine in any other court according to the rules of the common law has been incorporated, okay? So if you hold your own court, and you hold like an administrative court, and the facts were in your favor, and you got an agreement, and the people ruled in your favor, the courts cannot reexamine that case. it says the right to have no fact already tried by a jury. Re-examine in any other court other than according to the rules of the common law. Eighth Amendment. Protection against excessive bail. Protection against excessive fines. Protection against cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, it says here... The protection against excessive fines people and protection against excessive bail, not incorporated by the state. That means they can charge you whatever they want to, to for you to get out of jail. Okay? Let's um, see if there's anything out here.
4: Looking for... I thought there was more amendments than that. Well, anyways,
2: I think I've gone through all these, but if you want to learn more about why they have a right to use excessive bail or whatever, and you want to know more, from, I'm reading this here from the incorporation doctrine. Look at right to a public trial. This right has been incorporated against the state. Okay, so you do have a right to a public trial. Let me see. Okay. Um, I don't I don't really have anything more other than um it's running late again, but if you guys wanna do it again for Monday I don't know where Southern is, but um we can here? continue you you want you wanna add on to anything, Southern there, about this incorporation doctrine?
3: No, no. The, the, the problem with the, what, what you're reading right there is yeah. that these states, this is all about the military side of these states. Right. I, you have no, no rights under the military. So they had to incorporate rights unto you, all right, to the Supreme right, Court. Right, all right. And that's what people right. aren't getting. I'm working on something right now to, to go after these people for due process. Right, because the bottom line, uh, you're going to either have to tell me I'm in your state militia and I don't, don't have the right to due process, or are we going to go, I want a civil trial, like the 99, case 99 you got down there in
2: Miami. Yeah. Yeah, like they're telling you, oh, we don't have a civilian court, but you took my paper and said, see, I think that's what the problem is. Remember I told you that the Constitution, which I never did find the book, I'm still looking for that one, too, um, talks about the people. Yeah, that one's like one of my important books, too, um, that you've given me a while back where it says, when we speak of we the people, it said it was the employees of the government. That's That's who the civilians are. That is who they're talking about when they say that they're um, uh, being protected uh, under the Constitution is is those people. It says when we say we – but it was in a book, an old book that Southern had also about the, um, <clears throat> the Constitution. Like, people are misinterpreting, but I think that a lot of people, including uh, those who wrote the book, they don't realize that. Uh, the state didn't even incorporate, uh, those laws, um, like to be indicted by a grand jury, right? The state doesn't have to, uh, accept that, but they didn't. They're saying it wasn't incorporated. So that means that the state is not following the same rules and regulations, people, as the, um, as the feds have to do. They create yeah. federal laws, um, I'll give you an example. Uh, in the county, um, I know you guys, I think they call it under federal, Southern, isn't it OSHA? Mm-hmm. The OSHA? Okay, that's a federal regulation. So when I work with the county, they have a OSHA as well, but they told me it's their own OSHA, of their own internal county structure. It doesn't, it says it's similar to the federal guidelines and government, but it's not the same because. We, we put in our own provisions to that law. So they they take the, the skeleton of that law, the, the main fundamentals, and then they add on and modify it to their liking. That's why you see the states, their laws don't apply to you because they copyrighted it. Anything you want to add to that?
3: Nope. Very good.
2: Let me see something here. I'm looking at um. Oh, uh, Here's one.
3: Wait a minute. Tomorrow morning. All right. I'm going to finish up this stuff. I want you all to look. This is the, most of this is the state of Florida. This is pictures, and we're going to go through this all right shortly on the next on the next call. Okay. because um, I want to draw your attention to what. You think it's a civil action by your legislators and stuff, your Supreme Court? It ain't, people. I'm going to show you why on the next call.
2: Okay. Um, The next one is a right, right to a jury selected from residents of the state and district where the crime occurred. This right has not been incorporated against the state. Why is that important, people? Because they aren't giving you residence to go in your jury trial for a crime. They use their people, police officers, firefighters, clerks, attorneys, um, anyone that works in government, they go in and they do the jury process a lot, okay? So it hasn't been incorporated. That means you, the normal people that you work in a different kind of um, job, like a privatized company, um, they don't have to select you as part of the jury process. Like you're not, what they're saying is you don't get to choose whether you're going to have a jury of your peers unless the state wants you to, um, you know, like if they want to incorporate it, they can. But it says here has not been incorporated against the state. The right uh, right to notice of accusations. Guess what, people? This right has been incorporated against the state. So you need to know this. If someone's gonna accuse you of something, you have a right to be given notice. So that's why they do give you notice. Oh, we're gonna take it to court, you can pay your rent. Do they give you a three-day notice or a five-day notice or an eviction notice? Uh, you are being given notice. The right to confront adverse witnesses. This right has been incorporated, people. That means you have a right to uh, what do you call that, Southern? When you um when you're doing to... uh,
3: huh cross-examine witnesses.
2: Yeah, so that has been incorporated against the state people, so you do have a right for that attorney or yourself if you're representing yourself to cross-examine the witness. The right to compulsory process, subpoena, to obtain witness testimony. This right has been incorporated against the state. That means they they um can uh subpoena you so that that means uh they can subpoena you in the court right to assistance of counsel this right has been incorporated against the state for all felony cases see arger singer versus hamlin for imprisonable misdemeanors and subsequent decisions the court extended the right to counsel to any case in which a jail sentence is imposed. So if there's any case, whether it be robbing someone or a credit card fraud or when it's gonna land you in jail, yes, you do have a right to the assistance of who? Counsel. Actually, you notice that they call them counsel and I said that the head people of the uh, organizations, that they are called general um, counsel, right? Their job is only to counsel you and give you advice, really. They're not really, I mean, what's happening here is that without you really knowing you're giving your express implied consent to your behavior, like saying, uh, you know, judge said, give me a public defender and he's going to handle your case right. And if you don't tell the judge, no, I want to represent myself, sir. I don't need uh, assistance of counsel. So what happens? You don't say nothing. He's going to assume that you're okay with his decision and that you're in agreement. Okay? Are you in here, young lady from um, Massachusetts?
4: Are you in here,
2: Massachusetts? Probably not. Okay, I'm just checking because they wanted to be on here. Um. Let me see what the next one says. Um, I'm hoping you guys get it, though, like what I'm saying by the incorporation. What they mean by that is uh, you incorporating federal laws, the state has to follow the same the same regulation and policy of that of the Constitution. Right to jury trial in civil cases. This right has not been incorporated against the state. Re-examination clause, this right has not been incorporated against the state. That's why it's very, very hard for a man, once he's convicted, it is almost impossibly feasible. They're not going to reexamine something after the decision has been made. So that's why I am re-examination, like I know people go to the appeals court, uh, like you guys have to understand that these judges they're not looking to see how your rights are being violated. They're right. They're looking to see were your rights violated. Like did these people break protocol? And uh, you know, a lot of people, especially people who are killers. I was looking at how do they get away and get out of jail and get get out of kill seven people. There would be the smallest technicality, the smallest, and that would be it. They'd be out the door. And guess what? You can't do nothing about it. And they get away with murder or whatever they've done wrong. So when you go to court of appeals and they're looking at your case, they um, aren't going to listen because you you haven't, um, you know, first of all, it's saying here they didn't get incorporated to the state. And secondly, usually when you're filing a federal case, you haven't proven that you tried to settle a claim with them, like you had any kind of claim going back and forth. Protection against excessive bail. This right may have been incorporated against the state. The court stated in dicta, bail, of course, is basic to our system of law. And the Eighth Amendment proscription of excessive bail has been assumed to have application to the state through the 14th Amendment. The court did not reach the issue because the case was
4: dismissed as
2: Bail was included in the list of incorporated rights in the McDonald's footnote 12. So, um, <clears throat> it, it has, it says this right, oh, they're not even sure. It's saying it may have been incorporated, but above, I was reading it said that it wasn't incorporated. Protection, but these are things that you could say, oh, you know what, I need to look these things up. Like, is my state allowed to charge me excessive bail? Here's another one, protection against excessive fines. This right has not been incorporated, the McDonald versus city of Chicago. Protection against cruel and unusual punishment. This right has been incorporated against the state. This holding has led the court to suggest in dicta that the excessive bail and excessive fines protection have also
4: been incorporated.
2: you see what they're saying that because this has been incorporated protection against cruel and unusual punishment that you you know maybe you better go back and the saying the co- the, the holding is what the court to suggest in dicta like verbally maybe this means that also we accepted the excessive bail clause and excessive fines protection were incorporated because that, that, to us, we could say that's a cruel and unusual punishment. I can barely feed my family without the child support you're taking, so maybe you need to be looking at the cruel and unusual punishment clause. Reverse incorporation is similar legal doctrine to incorporation. That is the reverse incorporation, whereas incorporation applies the Bill of Rights to the State through the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment in reverse incorporation. The Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment has been held to apply to the federal government through the Due Process Clause located in the Fifth Amendment. For example, in Bowling v. Sharp, 347, U.S. 497, 1954, which was a companion case to Brown versus Board of Education. The schools of the District of Columbia were desegregated even though Washington is federal. Likewise, in Adar and Constructors, Inc., or senya 515, U.S. 200. An affirmative action program by the federal government was subject to strict scrutiny based on what? Equal protection. So because the equal protection uh, clause may have maybe it it was passed I think it was I just read it a minute ago but uh, incorporated what they're saying here is that we're talking again about the boundary lines people where the Constitution of the United States cannot cross boundaries with the state's laws and and it goes all the way down people to the bottom of the barrel I'm gonna I'm gonna end this minute but what I'm telling you here is that the same applies to the group, is to the gander, meaning that if um, something comes in and the state uh, says, you know what, we're going to do this, we're going to continue keeping slaves. And now we're going to give them birth certificates and social security numbers, and now they're going to be ours, and they won't get anything to us now. That They'll have to go work on their own, and we'll profit from everything that they do, which is what they're doing. And the feds come in and said, you know what, based on the Constitution, we said that we're going to keep a limited government and we don't want you guys keeping any more slaves because it's costing us too much money to feed them. So what happens is, is the state will say, we don't give a crap about what you think about this. We already had slaves before we became the United States of America under a constitution. So guess what? Say whatever you want to, federal. We don't have to listen to you. And you got to really think about this is what I'm trying to tell you about the four corners rule of law and your state law and your local and municipal and county laws. They're all foreign to each other. And, I don't know, Triel, are you in here? Okay, she probably isn't going to make it tonight, but um, she was going to bring in something real important, which is another gift for you guys, but I'm not going to blow the whistle (laughs) because that's her thing. Um, But what I'm telling you right now, write that down. Each section of government is formed from one another, and then they have a time frame, a place where they blend in together. Meaning that where one law takes has to stop, they have to halt. The next one takes over. Like you're under the count, like the city. But after you leave, uh, your that jurisdiction, you're under the county's jurisdiction. They encompass. And then, what happens when you leave that county? You're under the state's jurisdiction. And what happens when you cross the border? You're under, right? I guess the street line, the street streets that you travel on the highway, they ha- they might come under federal jurisdiction. And how well do they come under federal jurisdiction? Is when you're leaving one state and you go into another state and you keep killing people. Let's say you're a, you're a killer. So they have to call the federal government. Why? Because this man keeps moving. He's a mover. You know, he keeps going from state to state. We have to get him. You see how they are, when they got to grab someone, okay, we're going to charge him first, and then we'll release him to you. Charge him again over here in Mississippi. Okay, and we're done. Bundy was one of them. That's jurisdiction and how they can, under the Four Corners rule of law, You're not supposed to cross boundaries. You're not supposed to cross corporations. And you're not supposed to cross state, stated, or even unstated entities, like the unorganized militia. They can't tell you you can't bear arms because they have an unorganized militia. So, in knowing this, that is something of the language... In the English language, any language that you go in, um, it says that you're supposed to be looking uh, for that language of that end agency because everybody's language is also a different language and it's copyrighted to them. So that would be your your big thing um, where I tell people, look, you have like something really, really big that's saving you half the time from your problem. And that is you are not bound to any jurisdiction. You're not bound to any um, state law once you have a name change. And you have a decree that Sam Smith, he, he has a name others, uh, besides, okay, besides Sam Smith. You have an all caps name, Sam Smith. And everywhere you go, you turn this in as your identity and that Sam Smith, he is a what? Taxable entity. But the other Sam Smith, he doesn't have an identity. That's you. You don't have a COLB. you should have one and get it authenticated, certificate of live birth. When you do the name change, and you get the proper grammar name, now you have another identity, people, and what? It's not on a birth certificate. The name is on a county paper with a docket number saying you were awarded or decreed this name now. Now you have a name other than the birth certificate name. What puts you under the state's jurisdiction as an enemy of the state, people? It's the paper, the bond paper. So you need what? A different paper to use for your identity. Why was name changed first? Remember I told you that if you don't have your own name, what are you gonna convey things to back to the United States again? You're gonna take what, put everything back into the decedent account? Who are you? And the judge says, who is you? you? You know, like the judge really says, who are you? You better prove who you are, right? You're a nobody right now. You don't even have your own name yet. So when you don't have your own name, people, You don't have anything at all, not even the clothes on your back. They can come and take everything away from you, your children, your homes, your dignity. They take away your respect because you don't have a name other than the name on that certificate. And we've shown you over and over and over tonight how, why the state, don't protect you in certain areas and the other parts do protect you in the Constitution. When you get your name, now you're not using what? A birth certificate which has another jurisdiction. Meaning, it speaks the law. Juris, the law, diction. It speaks. Dicta. So, when you're, whatever you give him, like I said, you give a police officer your driver's license, you are telling him that you are an operator of a motor vehicle, and that is his language right there. That's his lingo. Where he can give you a ticket, or you just gave him a license. You know what? Oh, I have a good one for you. You have a license. And um, they don't have a right. And you know what, I should look into that, but they don't have um, immunities as a local law, so that might be a good thing, too. This would be another great constitutional challenge question. If you can't touch another corporation because they're licensed, okay, or maybe it's because, you know what it is, people? It could be because you're not incorporated yet, but... um. You know, you can't go after an agency because they have immunities and privileges and protection. So you should have the same then because you're using a birth certificate and the birth certificate is also, it's an entity, you know, and maybe you're supposed to be protected uh, with immunities as well. You give them a driver's license, right? The birth certificate is another license. It's like a a license to live and work in the United States. So, and what other name do you have? You don't have one. That's the name of your registered organization. Now you have to take your registered organization once you get your name, see, right now I'm thinking that's why they've been telling me this, you know, like, hey, once you're incorporated and you got that decree, now we can change the status of the birth certificate. Why? Well, who could they change the status for if you don't exist yet? And I've got three people that will tell you, one that was awarded, I think, $15 million, but they can't give to her because she doesn't exist. So you need to get into existence before you can claim an all caps name. But who would they give it to if you don't exist yet? If you give the all caps name and you leave it like that and that's an organization, remember the lady told me, you're going to have to explain that you got to prove who you are. Well, you, uh, you would have to ask the judge, who is you and what is you? That you're speaking to me about are you talking about this paper here if that it is it's the organization that you created when i was born you birthed this organization instead of me now i need to come back and say hey i exist too and i'm like that uh name our names are similar but under the doctrine of eden zonam just because it's similar they don't mean the same so with that, I'm going to let that go, and on uh, Monday, we will go back to the birth certificate book. I mean, I just went through the entire in, incorporation doctrine telling you what it really means now, so you know that the reason why you're feeling that certain things are being violated in, it was because the states did not incorporate provisions of those bills of rights to the state and they don't have to and they didn't and that's why certain things are happening to you that doesn't sound right. It it is it's happening because they didn't incorporate it. Like your right to be given notice. See it's incorporated, so guess what? Those local agencies, they have to give you uh notice. If you're being accused of something, yep, you have to be given notice that someone's accusing you. I want to say God bless you, God bless you, you guys are gods, <laughs> and that uh, I hope you guys um, are enjoying your holidays, and for those who are not, I wish you the best of luck in your struggles so that you can overcome this dilemma of mind control that they have everybody under um, and me and Southern, we're just going to continue coming in here and hammering it out with you and bringing you updates. Um, Trial was supposed to be here tonight to give you guys an update, but I'm sure she'll be back on Monday. So I'll see you guys then, and I hope you all have a blessed night. Thank you and good night.